Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. It is Thursday morning, September the 1st, 843-661-0937 is the number. Did I say September the 1st? That's what I heard. That means college football yes. begins today, if I'm not mistaken, tonight. Um, anybody know, does West Virginia play Pittsburgh? Is it a game like that? I think there's a pretty good game on stack. For, um, for First of all, let's get to the Braves. You ready? Yes. Sir. You want to make a prediction? Let's hear it. If the Braves don't pick up a game during the Rockies-Dodgers series, in other words, the, the Mets are playing the Dodgers, Braves playing the Rockies, if they leave, if the Rockies leave town and the Dodgers leave town and they're still exactly where they were, the Mets are going to win the division. I mean, if the Braves are playing a team 35 games out of 500 and the Dodgers are the best team in the last 25 years of baseball, you got to make up ground. I mean, you just got to figure out a way to sweep that series or win two or three and hope the Dodgers win two or three in the uh, in New York. But if we go on the air tomorrow and the Mets and Braves have either won or lost, in other words, the Braves don't pick up a game, the Braves are going to be the wild card. And they're going to regret the game that um, not last night's game. They the slopped around a good bit last night, as far as I'm concerned. But um, but the night before, having their one starter, what did the Mets do yesterday or last night? I can't, uh, and, and I can't uh, argue with what you're saying. By I the mean, way, De- Degrom was lights out against the best team in all of baseball. I mean, Degrom was just dominant, just absolutely phenomenally dominant against once again maybe the best baseball team of the last 25 years of Major League Baseball. If you believe some of these. Um, you know, statistics and uh, analysis of run differentials and games over 500 and all these other sorts of things. Somebody asked me yesterday uh, out and about, so so you believe in the run differential. Let me ask you a question. So the Braves and Dodgers play a three-game series. And the Dodgers beat the Braves 7-1 and 13-2. And the Braves beat the Dodgers 2-1. How much better are the Dodgers than the Braves? I mean, they only beat them one more game, right? I mean, one, two, or three. Let's use this as an example. This would be a better analogy. Let's tell you a four-game series. Let's say the Braves win one to nothing and three to two, and the Dodgers win thirteen to one and uh, and fifteen to five. Who's the better team? I mean, it's obvious, and that's kind of the yeah. point I'm trying to make here. And and once again, I go back to the night before. I mean, it wasn't last night. I mean, the, you know, the Braves beat a bad team. The Mets beat a really good team. And as much as I always look at things through my tomahawk chop Well, I do too. Glasses, I, mean, I, I try not to be uh, negative. I can't argue with anything you're saying. We, we try to be the mayor of Realville here, yep. as the late Rush Limbaugh proclaimed himself. Um, and I'm as big, afraid, uh, uh, as big a Braves fan of Mars as I was today or the day before or in 1992. Um, but I just think you've got to accept reality that the Braves had a chance a chance to close the gap a little more than three games. And we're getting to about 30 games left. I mean, anything can happen, but but the odds are. And I think when you kind of play practicality in life, you play the odds. I mean, you play the odds. I play the odds. We all play the odds, whether we know it or not. The majority of us do. Um, the odds are uh, you're going to go home. The odds are, you know, kind of sort of where, I mean, you're, you're not going to surprise yourself today at lunch. If you, if you eat out, you'll eat at one of the five or six restaurants you always do. That's <laughs> the odds. I mean, the odds are you'll get home within a 30-minute window. I mean, every now and then you don't. I get it. I mean, life throws us curveballs, um, baseball analogy. But yeah. by and large, you know, we kind of play the odds in our life, and we predict um, what the odds will be. And I just think the Braves missed a golden opportunity to cut the lead to two. Now, it could happen tonight. I mean, the Mets could – I mean, in all honesty, if what happens tonight – if what should happen – happens tonight the Braves will be two games down when we take the air tomorrow um, because the Dodgers are better than the Mets so the Dodgers will win I mean if, if the odds if we believe in the odds yeah. 
The Dodgers will win two of three against the Mets. You would have hoped the Braves swept a really bad Colorado Rockies team. Um, but right now, we're two games into the series. Mutuals are um, different series, and they're exactly where they were on Monday. And I just assumed the Braves would pick up a little ground here. We have now, to. Now, if the Mets win tonight, I mean, I think you'll agree with this. If the Mets win tonight, the Braves lose. I, mean, I, I don't want to say it's insurmountable because anything can happen in, in the finicky temperamental game of baseball, but, but the odds become overwhelmingly in favor of the Mets. Once again, I wish I could argue odds. and push back against anything you just said, but reality says I cannot. And, and you talk about baseball being a finicky sport. So the Braves win 87 last year, uh, win that division fairly comfortably. Um, they could win 100 this year and become the wild card. I mean, it's just the, you know, yeah. there's there's two reasons the Mets don't fold this year. I mean, it's, it's easy. It's De- Scherzer and DeGrom. Scherzer, yeah, yeah I mean, there, there are two reasons they're not going to fold <laughs> no doubt. this year. Uh, they, they've got two quality, quality, high-level pitchers um, in DeGrom and Scherzer, and that's why they'll be a threat to anybody in the playoffs, you know, whether it's the Dodgers or not. When you get in a five- or seven-game series and you can figure out a way to at least have Scherzer and DeGrom on the mound three times, maybe four, you know, depending on how the off days and, and the rotations work, but if the Mets have the luxury of stacking their staff as they head into the postseason, um, yeah, I mean, they, you know, with Scherzer and DeGrom, they're, they're as good as anybody. I mean, they're not any better than anybody, but they're as good. They're absolutely as good as the Braves. If Scherzer and DeGrom can, I mean, if they can stack their rotation and have Scherzer and DeGrom uh, pitch twice in a series, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise you nor I if the Mets end up in the World Series. But, um, yeah, the Braves had an opportunity two nights ago, blew it. Uh, we kind of made up for it last night, but once again, the Mets win because DeGrom's on the mound. What are you trying to... I was just going to say, but yesterday, you know, had a chance to still bask in the glow of being world champions. Mm-hmm. Went and saw the trophy at the... You did? At the Darlington Raceway. Was there a good crowd over there? Yeah, it was a pretty steady crowd. Did you ride around the track? Uh, I did not. There were a lot of people doing the, the track laps. That looked fun and cool, but I did not. See, that, that's the... um. We know who the redneck in this studio is. <laughs> There is no way I could have gone and seen the, the Braves trophy and not lapped that track. I know. In fact, I may have passed. I may have used the Braves trophy as an excuse to get over there and ride a couple of laps around around the racetrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point of somebody saying, hey, you get off that high line there, man. You, I mean, you're running up. I mean, get off that high line. Get away from that wall. You don't want a Darlington stripe. You're not supposed to pass. Yeah, you don't want to get a Darlington stripe here. This is fun in games, man. Uh, it's been told to me. I mean, I've got friends back in the day, they would let people go on that track to lay down the rubber. Here we are with, with our, some of the racing language to kind of, you know, lay down the rubber on the track, and it would just wear your tires out. I mean, I've got I'm some sure. friends who would go over there, and, that, you know, they wanted to play race car driver for a day, and they'd go over there for like an hour and go around the track, and they'd get back home, and their tires would be as slick as glass. <laughs> <laughs> like, where's my rubber? Well, I mean, that's why they asked you to come over there to put rubber down on the track. You know, your tires and, and the. Uh, the potential wearing of your tire, what you thought the wear on your tire was going to be, is now at the uh, at the Darlington Racetrack. A lot of things to talk about this morning. And by the way, I did look up the college football schedule, too, since you started with is that. Is it West Virginia and Pitt? West, well, there's three games tonight. West Virginia, Pitt, Central Michigan, Oklahoma State, and VMI Wake Forest. Okay, those are pretty decent games. West Virginia, Pitt in particular. I think Pitt's got a top 25 ranking, if I'm not mistaken, but they lost that kid, uh, the quarterback, the real special quarterback in the draft. Um, yeah, he was a really, really, really good player. Um, ask Clemson about him. They can vouch for how good a player the um, the former Pitt quarterback was now in the National 
Football League. I think the NFL starts week after next, if I'm not mistaken. They've got another um, lineup of preseason games. It's pretty bizarre. The NFL preseason. <laughs> I mean, it shows up in the ratings everywhere. The preseason games between whomever and whomever or a top 25 um, rated whatever television network uh, they're on. There's a couple of things I want to talk about this morning, and um, and we'll delve into this extensively. Um, Bert and I had a disagreement yesterday morning about libertarianism, and and I sounded like, uh, you know, I, I profess to have this libertarian bias about me, but when I said find the criminals, take their guns, take their drugs, um, I, I guess Bert interpreted it as, you know, what, what do you mean take their guns and take their drugs? Well, I mean, if they're criminals, you take their guns and take their drugs. If you're law-abiding citizens, you take their drugs and not their guns, right? I mean, why do you take their drugs? Because they're law in the books against drugs. So here's the point I'm trying to make. And, uh, and tell me if you agree or not. I think libertarianism can be a large contributor to our political beliefs, our political philosophies. You've got a set of... Um, of, of kind of political guidelines that you base your life on. I have, uh, and the majority of this is not what we read. I mean, Atlas Shrugged, I would imagine, Ayn Rand, her book impacted a certain generation of Americans, and it probably still does to some degree. I've never read a book that changed my life not named the Bible. I mean, I've read a lot of books in my life, and, I, and I've searched and yearned, um, but I've never read a book that fundamentally changed my life. I mean, I've talked a little bit about book In But Not Of by Hugh Hewitt, um, but, but all those books were, they were casually impactful in how I perceived uh, the political world. But I've never read a book that just blew my doors off to the point of, you know, just uh, Rules of Radicals by Saul Alinsky. And so, I mean, you've, you've heard people say, I read that book and it changed my life forever. Well, I mean, uh, people of faith would say the Bible has done that. Okay, fair enough. Um, I'm excluding the Bible because, once again, I don't know that most books are God-ordained or God-inspired. So the Bible is uniquely different if you are uh, someone of the Christian faith or Judeo-Christian values. I mean, the Jewish people believe in the first chapter. They don't believe in the sequel. You know, that'd be the, the, uh, the New Testament. So you got an Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, the Judeo-Christian value system is based upon the Old Testament. And, you know, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is kind of a, the fork in the road. And Yogi Bear says you take it. You know, one goes to Jesus being a redeemer and a savior, uh, offering salvation and the other is basically uh, an amazing prophet and example of what humanity should, uh, how humanity should behave to other uh, humanity. But, but I've never read a book, once again, that has changed my life politically. My, my, po my politics and political philosophy are shaped from the events and experiences that have led me here today uh, saying the words I say. I mean, that's kind of what all of us, I mean, I'm not saying you've never read things or, or studied things or learned things that were impactful. Of course, we all have. But aren't those kind of the events and experiences that has led us to where we are? And, and I've got a large streak of libertarianism about me. Um, I can get anarchist at times, especially if I'm aggravated about something. I mean, right now, I'm mad at the incompetence of the Biden administration. I mean, I'm not angry about the liberal policies because I suspected that's what they were going to do. When you got a feeble old man in cognitive decline and he's surrounded by Obama acolytes, you had to believe this is kind of sort of uh, the game plan. So, so you know, if you're surprised by this, you didn't pay close attention to what Obama did and some of the people that were in the Biden administration. Um, the Obama machine got Joe Biden elected. 
And the Obama machine has figured out we've got a fall guy. I mean, if we want to mutilate gender, uh, you know, and we want to uh, allow kids to enter into medical contracts to, you know, have sex change operations and uh, we're, we're going to force Major League Baseball to, uh, you know, celebrate uh, inclusion and equality and diversity and all these other sorts of things, then what better way to do it than with a goofy old man who most don't believe he's responsible for what's going on anyway. So it's kind of the perfect setup. <laughs> so once again, um, the fact that they're trying these, these outrageous um, policy initiatives and having success at some level in implementing some of these bizarre policies, uh, paying off someone else's debt. I mean, that's, you know, that's pretty bizarre in the grand scheme of things. But, but it shouldn't surprise any of. What, what bothers me more than anything, Rev, is the incompetence about you know how how do they perceive these things to make any sense? What what are they what are they basing their analysis on? None, none of these people, and here's what we got to understand: none of these people have ever served much time in the private sector. Very few of these people, given the president advice, have ever done anything other than operate in the bowels of government. That's the incompetence that I'm concerned about. What are the repercussions of the, of these the, these silly policy initiatives and 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 antics of you know once again student debt would be a good example of that i mean there there are a million examples um so i've got to effectively address the governing part of this and here's where I, here's the problem um and bert's not alone i mean there there are many of you out there listening to my voice took exception with what i said yesterday about the guns and the drugs libertarianism is a contributor it can be a dominant contributor i mean it really can it can be a major contributor to how freehold sees the world how i see the world how you see the world it cannot be a governing philosophy in america and have any success you've got to accept where we the people are and we the people are debating now big government or our monstrosity of government libertarianism is a I mean, it's a it's a thought process. It's it's a it's a political belief that says, you know, I don't want any government. I mean, maybe a little bit here and a little bit. Well, I mean, that's unrealistic today, and we're losing debates. We're losing ground because some of these libertarians, and I think this is kind of what Larry said yesterday. Some of the libertarians are holding us hostage by forcing us to be pure. And when and when I say over the air, and I'll go back and listen to this. Y'all went back and tried to listen yesterday. Um, that we need to find the violent criminals in Florence County. We need to take their guns and drugs away, and we need to put them in prison. There's nothing controversial about that. There's nothing there radical. Well, I mean, there, there's nothing radical about that. But some of you out there heard, you know, that he's taking somebody's guns. And drugs should be legal. I mean, I have a right to ingest anything in my body. Well, guys, if that's the mindset of the modern-day libertarian I mean, they, you know, they're going to always be the Democrats' best friend. Democrats will win more elections because of that mindset than anywhere else. I told you the article I read in National Review a couple of days ago about Blake Masters. Kevin Williams, senior fellow at the National Institute, excuse me, the National Review Institute. And Williams said that he thinks Masters is flip-flopping on abortion. He thinks Blake Masters is, is a fraud when it comes to abortion. And he goes on to whip up on the teal you know, the, the gaggle of teal candidates that have come about. Um, I want to read that because I think it's very interesting, and I think it speaks to this purism that some people are talking about in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an experiment of self-governance. 
So, so libertarianism can be a contributor. It's a big contributor to what to, to my political views and and the way I see the world. But but I but I mean, if we've got a problem as a political party in in not addressing crime by believing that guns and drugs have to be a part of it because we're um, impeding someone's Second Amendment right, what right does a violent criminal have in regards to the Second Amendment? I mean, where, where do we draw that line? And once again, I've done a lot of work yesterday. I mean, Jim kind of stirred my, my, I mean, he got my juices flowing, so to speak, when he said, you know, that I was safer as a child, excuse me, um, it was more dangerous as a child than it is today. Uh, Jim's right. I went back and looked. I've got in my, uh, in my hand here, the, uh, the South Carolina population rate of crime per 100,000 citizens from 1960 to 2018, 2019. Last year, the um, the uh, the FBI aggregated stats in this fashion. I don't know why, but in 2020, 21, and 22, they reformatted some of their um, some of their analysis or some of their uh, gathering of information and data. Um, and I want to go down that road, but but the point I want to make this morning, and it's not a point of disagreement. It's it's kind of a um, it's a reality check. I mean, if we believe that libertarianism can be a part of the Republican brand and lead us to a more conservative government, uh, less government, lower taxes, it's going to be ancillary. It can't be the dominant political ideology that dominates the Republican Party because there's simply not enough of us. Once again, I'm somewhere between a Republican and a libertarian. I'm proudly somewhere between a Republican and a libertarian. The Libertarian gets about 1.3% of the vote in a national election. So many Libertarians say, hey, I get it. I mean, I understand. I have these tendencies. I have these biases. I hate government. Libertarians are kind of the place that I feel most at home. That's nonsense. That's silly. It's the reason Democrats win. And I think Kevin Williams at the National Review illustrates that. But he's not a Libertarian. He's kind of an, he's an establishment candidate. But the point I'm trying to make is the Democrats hardly ever break rank. And right now, you've got a binary choice. I mean, if you're going to be in power in government today, you're going to have an R beside your name or a D beside your name, plain and simple. I mean, the president's not going to be a green candidate, not going to be a libertarian, not going to be a, um, you know, an America first candidate. I mean, they can claim this ground and that ground and some other ground. But at the end of the day, you're going to file and run as a Democrat. You're going to file and run as a Republican, and they're going to get about 95% of the vote. So to my fellow libertarian-leaning Republicans, we've got to understand that libertarianism is not the dominant political ideology within the Republican Party, but rather complementary. And it can be highly effective if it remains complementary. But the day we start arguing whether we have the right to take a gun from a violent criminal because they have Second Amendment rights just like everybody else does, and I don't trust the government. I don't trust the government any more than you do. But we've got to check that in some way, shape, or form before we kind of slide off in to the political abyss, which leads to political irrelevancy. Sarah Palin lost in Alaska. Saw that. Stew on that for a second. Sarah Palin uh, lost in Alaska. You know why Sarah Palin lost in Alaska? Because Trump voters don't go vote for Republicans. I mean, we're going to experience that. That's a big concern I've got. Trump voters are Trump voters. Are they Sarah Palin voters? Apparently not. I mean, I get the ranked primary. That was a big flip. I mean, that was a Republican seat. It's a big flip. Well, I mean, the the media will portray it as a big flip, but they change the way they vote. 
I mean, they go into this ranked primary yeah. system, and it's a little bit. I wouldn't put a lot of faith or stock in that. But but I, I I'm not I'm not scolding anybody. I'm certainly not preaching to anybody. I'm just saying to the libertarian leaning Republican, the Republicans are much more your friend than the Democrats are. The Republicans don't want to do things to this country that the Democrats do. The Republicans don't want to do what you want them to do. They don't want to do what I want them to do. But they certainly don't want to do what the Democrats intend to. Take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. What's really complicated? What do you you want to read something off your phone so bad you can't stand it? Well, I'm I'm just sitting here. I'm I'm looking at the text I'm receiving because okay. I I have to get this stuff right if I know that. You know, our resident sports expert, Alan Smothers, the Bad Boy Sports Radio, is listening. He tunes in sometimes before he goes on the air at 7, right? He's a good friend. <laughs> on our sister station. Absolutely a great friend. Um, so he he corrected me that there are actually 16 games to open the college football season tonight. Uh, you talked about West Virginia Pitt. Um, Penn State, Purdue, Ball State, Tennessee are also big games, but there's a total of 16 games tonight. Okay, good deal. Um, I will be watching West Virginia and Pittsburgh Less of the Braves. I like the Braves. I enjoy the Braves, um, but I love college football. So if given an opportunity to watch a good college football game or the Braves, I mean, I'll be back and forth. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You're but, 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 yeah, I'll be watching more college football. And, and, and there's there's 162 baseball games to choose from. Not yeah. quite as many college football every, games. Every single baseball game doesn't mean as much as yep. every single football game just by matters of, of proportionality. I, I want to go back real quick, and then we'll go to the call. So – Here's where, here's where folks, here's where libertarian-leaning Republicans, or libertarians for that matter, get themselves in, um, in kind of tangles. Because I do this. Um, Jim didn't challenge anybody yesterday, but he, um, he proclaimed a certain thing to be true that I kind of shook my head. I don't know if that's true or not. I even said over the air. I don't know if I buy that or not. I went back yesterday and read a lot of data. Here's when libertarians really get confused and concerned and... Um, <laughs> and out of sorts, so to speak, is um, when we admit we have a crime problem and it looked like government policy helped with the crime problem. That's kind of what Jim argued <laughs> yesterday. You know what I mean? Some of the legislation of 94 that Biden has run away from, that, I mean, it's the 1994 Violent Crime Control Act that was um, signed into law in 1994. So if you don't want much government, but you don't want any crime, and government policy or an act obviously made america safer how do you how do you square that up i mean that you know when i read this first i mean I, here i am reading the violent crime and control excuse me the uh, the violent crime control act and and i see the numbers going down precipitously as, as the uh, the act became implemented and the government took control of these certain things and i'm like government doesn't work well it did here i mean it really did it's hard to argue that the, the the violent crime control act of 1994 didn't make america safer I mean, that's a real hard argument to make for someone who says government's never done anything that made my life better. Huh? I may stand challenged. We'll, we'll kind of delve into that as the show progresses. <laughs> so that may be the second thing after the interstate highways. Well, I mean, yeah, that, that may be. <laughs> well, I mean, but it cut both ways. Right. And, and I've got, I, mean, I, I think the 1986 Anti-Drug Abuse Act played into the 1984, excuse me, 1994 Violent Crime Control Act. Now, I'll kind of elaborate on that in the 7 o'clock hour. Let's go to the phone. Bert in Florence. Hello, Bert. Good morning. You just made me to call in. I know you did. No, I didn't. No, I did. I, I, I want to give you as fair a shake as I can. And you know I do. Uh, listen, first of all, uh, Ayn Rand did not make me a libertarian. 
someone actually brought her to me and had me do a like a political test because they said I was libertarian. I had never heard of libertarian. All I had ever wanted was for the country to follow the Constitution. Now, I realize at this stage, that's impossible. It's just not going to happen because the Constitution does not give us the right to have welfare or foreign aid or, you know, most of the laws we have are unconstitutional, just flat out unconstitutional. You're right. We You're 100% right, Bert. But I, I have said before, I have, I have not always voted Republican, but I've never voted Democrat. I do not think Democrats are our friends at all. I mean, they, they literally want to be our daddy. And I had enough of that when I was a kid. I don't need that. So never, never did I vote Democrat. And I don't think they're our friends at all. If you want to call me Libertarian. Uh, I'm not opposed to that because most of the time I agree with them. I mean, you know, uh, I saw uh, Ron Paul in, I believe it was 88 or 89. I thought he was a genius. He was up there singing my song. But I had been saying that for years before then, even when I was a kid. I totally agreed with Libertarian. I just didn't know that they existed. (laughs) So, Bert, what is a Libertarian's responsibility or obligation to the Republican Party in this country governed by binary choice? I'd be very interested in your uh, your opinion of that. Well, I've said for years, the left scares crap out of me because they want to be your daddy. The right scares crap out of me because they want you to bow to their God. Now, our Constitution does not allow for either one of those, either one. In order to live by our Constitution, a person has their own rights, I mean, to run their own life, as long as they are not harming other people. So if I want to, and for the record, I don't do drugs, I'm completely against drugs, but I, am, I will fight for the right for you to do drugs if that's what you want to do. So... A libertarian, as far as I can see, at least my views, uh, you know, you have the right to eat, drink, and shoot up whatever you think you need to. Government has no right to regulate that whatsoever. Um, The reason I vote for Republicans is simply because they're closer to the Constitution. Now, they're all into warmongering. I mean, we don't have a right to have 900 bases around the world. We have no right to be telling other countries what they can and cannot do. If that country attacks us, I am all for wiping them off the face of the earth. And it's just like criminals. If you had said that, and I saved this morning, by the way, if you had said it like that yesterday, we wouldn't have had a disagreement at all. Because once they've committed this crime, yeah, I'm all for it. Go get them. Go get them and take away any power they have. I'm even further to the fact of once they committed a violent crime, and I mean like seriously hurt someone, killed someone. I personally believe if you kill someone, you should be dead within five years. This 20 years on death row is ridiculous. You should be tried and I'll say five years to come up with a defense that overrules that, that conviction you can't do it in five years, you ain't going to do it, and you should not be sitting on death row. You should be executed. Okay, you're going to be, you're going to be my case study here for a second. Stick with me for a second. So, so Bert the Libertarian votes Republican because they're more in line with what he believes, more in line with his political center. 
if and I get what you're saying, once they commit a crime, take the guns, take the drugs, but don't do it before they commit a crime. What if society decides? What what if what if a hundred people in Florence, Sumter, and Orangeburg got murdered, and ninety-seven of those murders were by someone addicted to drugs? Does society, does government then have a right in the name of protecting society to go after the drugs? Um, Bert's never killed anybody. Bert may or may not do drugs. Bert has a right to do drugs under your libertarian worldview. But drugs have proven to be a contributor to violent crime. Does government have the right responsibility authority to address it in that way? By the Constitution? No. No, not at all. Uh, by our current laws, yeah, you got every right. No, no, for, forget the laws and constitution. Law. As a practical matter, if 100 murders no. are committed and 97 of those murder, 100 murders are committed by someone under the influence of cocaine, the government doesn't have any responsibility to stop you from doing cocaine or any right to stop Good. you from doing cocaine or regulate the use of cocaine. Is those, let, let, me, let me shift it for you. Is those 97 people also a practically practicing Christian? Does government have the right? Well, to I, mean, I, I, I don't know that now. I'm being hypothetical, but answer my hypothetical. And no, I mean I don't think you treat Christians who are drug users or drug abusers. If a Christian kills someone uh, because they're high on drugs, they should be treated just as if a non-believer killed someone who was high on drugs. So there, not, there, there should be no there should be no saying. difference in the sentence. You're not following what I'm saying. If those 97 are drug abusers and you go after drugs, well, those 97 are also Christian. Let's go after Christianity. Those 97. Um, you don't have bacon for breakfast. Let's ban bacon. Uh, now, now, see, now that, that's an absurd. Ba- bacon doesn't alter your mind. I mean, I understand it makes you fat, makes you unhealthy, but it all it doesn't it doesn't alter your it's, mind. You're you're not it, answering the question, Bert. You're you're not I'm answering I, the question. No, you're not. If ninety seven, I said no. It, okay, I said no. Okay, they do not have that right. Okay, well, that see that is a pure libertarian worldview, and to me, that is more net negative to Republicans winning elections than it's net positive. Thank you, Bert. Appreciate it. We can't debate forever over the airways. Got another call, if I'm not mistaken. That's the point I'm trying to make. I mean, if if 100 murders are committed and 97 of those murders are by someone under the influence of cocaine, we've got to do something about cocaine. I mean, we have an obligation to address the issue of cocaine. Bert says no. What what about the three people that didn't kill anybody, that aren't under the influence? They have a right to do cocaine. And an experiment of self-governance, where we're a nation of laws and we do the best we can in a practical, realistic fashion, that's where the libertarian mindset harms the Republican Party much more than it helps it. Let's go to the phone. Rick and Sumter listening to WDXY. Hi, Rick. Hey, good morning. Hey, Rick. Um, Ken, I guess it's just your lucky day because I am also a libertarian. <laughs> and um, I'll be happy to answer your question. Have at it. Um, if there's 100 murders and 97 are by drug abusers, why did those murders occur? Probably because of the illegality of the drugs and the difficulty and price of getting them. Or the, in, or the influence drugs have on people. That That's possible, but it's the same with alcohol. I would throw it out there. We did try prohibition, and look how that worked out for us. Yeah. Um, I, would, I would legalize most drugs with the codicil if you become a strung-out crackhead. You are not the victim of a disease of addiction. You're a crackhead, and... At that point, when you start committing crimes against people, then we have a right to lock your butt up. I'd like to address one other um, libertarian, what I think is a fallacy that Bert um, mentioned. 
I'm also a constitutionalist, but I also believe in the necessary and proper clause um, that the Constitution can be expanded as necessary and proper to do things society needs it to do. Um, what he said, the Democrats want to be your daddy, I agree with that. But in a lot of ways, the Republicans want to be your grandma sitting there with a big stick at the table <laughs> dictate, at Sunday dinner dictating the activities of the week. Rick, as a libertarian, and once again, I'm somewhere between a Republican and a libertarian, probably a little bit closer to libertarian than I am Republican. I'm scarred by having held office. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I was operating in the body you. politic, and I you had, to, had, an I, I had to. I had to rationalize what I believed and passing good policy or doing right by the county or the state or whatever you know elected body I was a part of. But what do you think? What do you think libertarianism? biggest um contribution to modern day republicanism could be i mean you'll accept you're a smart man you know it's a binary choice you know when you vote libertarian it's kind of a matter of conscience and soul but you're not going to affect the outcome of the election we're going to either have a republican or democrat-led senate so as a libertarian what do you believe your best contribution could be to the to the republican party and the political process well you know i'm i'm thinking i just finished rereading uh, mark sanford's book actually and he's, there was a quote that said, there is no Republican Party, there is only Trump. I think there's going to be a split in the Democratic Party, and there's going to be fairly normal people, and then there's going to be the Democratic Socialist. I, I think there might be heading for a split in the Republican Party between the party of Trump and the party of social and fiscal conservatism. Where does and the libertarian I, land there? Um... It's more of a personal choice. This libertarian would lay more in the line of fiscal and social conservatism. Gotcha. I would be more with, you know, that side of the Republican Party. Interesting. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate that. This is kind of an interesting conversation. Look, I don't have the right answer. Bird doesn't have the right answer. Uh, Rick doesn't have the right answer. We all have answers. We all have opinions. We have a lot to contribute to the conversation. Uh, and I think it's a very, very worthy conversation. Interesting that Rick would talk about the division. Where do libertarians land? I mean, we would agree that Trump is a personality movement, right? I mean, th this is not about policy or ideals. I mean, it is pro, excuse me, it's anti-China, it's anti-interventionism, anti-globalism, America first. But that's not really an ideology as much as a reaction to what we perceive to be failed political policies. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Breeze is our next caller. Breeze, you're on the air. You know what, kid? I've done a lot in my life. And, you know, and I don't want my boys, if it were up to me, I would not want them to touch any tobacco, any refined sugars, any processed food, and any drug. You know, whether it's pharmaceutical, made by pharmaceutical companies, or if it's snaggle grows out in the wild, like the cocaine, the heroin, the marijuana, and all of those things. But I wouldn't at the same time want any of them to serve time for, for it, for having it. You know, I'd hate for her to spend 20 years in jail for it. But, you know, that libertarian stuff like that right now, a lot of the stuff I think we talk about, what I find so frustrating for me is like, you know, we sit there and we see Biden's press secretary saying, you know, trying to scare anybody from saying that they're for Trump by calling all uh, everybody that voted for Trump is a threat to our democracy. Now, you know, that's not even very... That's not even very um, complicated what they're doing. It's just a very simple tactic that communists have been using forever. 
you know, they sit there and accuse you of, of doing what they are doing. But the thing against me is, is I just don't see the pushback. I would like to see everybody just sit there and, tell, and call her a fool. Every senator and every congressman in Washington, every governor in, the, in every state that's, that is a Republican should sit there and blast these idiots. But, you know, here's another thing. The more we keep talking about this kind of stuff, and this is something from your playbook, the more we keep talking about, did you see that billboard where we know where, you know, like Tucker Carlson was showing all those last night, you know, that there can't be true freedom to, to some kind of whatever gets free housing or whatever, some kind of something other sexual, whatever, whatever they are. But, you know, while we keep talking about that, nobody is sitting there <coughs> talking about the things that's going to get uh, the Republicans in. As much as I hate the Republicans, you know, they're still better, like you say, than the Democrats. You know, I get mad at them, you know, just like you get mad at them, but they don't want to just completely destroy everything like the Democrats do. And I just keep, I've been wondering now for three years, because this is about when it really started coming on to me. I keep wondering, what the hell can I do? And somebody called up and said, Breeze, if you and kids could just get over there and whip a couple of butts, it'll all be better, then I'll do it. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. Got to take a break. Hard break. Top of the hour. 843-661-0937. We'll be back in a minute. Happy birthday to Breeze. Turned 60 yesterday. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937. Let's go back to some of the context of the first hour this morning. Um, I thought that was a great well, I mean, hour. It's kind of an interesting debate that debate. we have. You know, what, what contribution can libertarianism make to the Republican Party today? The Republican Party is lost. I mean, it really is. The Republican Party is led by people who've worked at the paper mill so long, they don't know how bad it stinks. I mean, it's Mitch McConnell. It's um, it's John Thune. It's Chuck Grassley. It's, I mean, both parties to some degree are, but at least give the Democrats credit. They have a liberal worldview, a liberal mindset, sympathetic to big government. What are they doing? I mean, they're on steroids. I mean, the Liberal Party just passed a policy or, you know, executive order um, that the largely Democrats support. I mean, some don't. Tim Ryan in Ohio did because he's nervous about running against J.D. Vance. But by and large, the consensus of the Democrats is, yeah, support, you know, a retiring college debt or not forgiving college debt, but forcing other people to pay the college debt off. What have the Republicans accomplished? I mean, I, I think that's the frustration of libertarians in America today. You, you're telling me to vote for the Republican. Why? I mean, why, why should I forsake? Why should I acquiesce? I mean, I've got this libertarian worldview. You're telling me I'm not going to win. I only get 1.3% of the electorate. You're right. But if I vote for the Republican, what am I voting for? Yeah, what do they stand for? Other than they're for? not as bad as those terrible Democrats. Sure. Well, I mean, and here's, here's the notion. I'll, I'll ask this question of our listeners. Give me a Republican not named Donald Trump that has really given you a reason to vote for him or against him for that matter. I mean, think about, well, I mean, Republicans would argue they've given me a lot of reason to vote against when you talk about amnesty for immigration and some of these. I mean, I'm thinking about Lindsey in particular. I mean, people have people are fairly motivated to vote against Lindsey Graham, but he wins elections because he's got money and, you know, a name ID and uh, he's an incumbent. I mean, there's a lot of power in that reality. But but once again, give me a reason. I mean, educate me. I'm listening. Tell me why you are motivated, highly motivated 
to go to the poll in November and vote for the Republican Party. I can tell you what your motivation is. They're not the Democrats. I mean, they don't want to help pay off student debt. They don't want to mutilate genitals. They don't want to, you know, a transgenderism celebration every other week. Um, That's kind of sort of what's motivating Republicans now. The Republicans don't have an agenda. I mean, the Trump agenda is anti-China, anti-globalism, anti-open border, and um, anti-intervention. I mean, that's kind of the Trump agenda. It's simple. It's understandable. It's concise. But it's highly effective. The voters, by and large, understand it. I'll go back to Palin real quick. Um, from what I read last night, Palin's big problem was her unpopularity in, in, in Alaska. I mean, she had rubbed people the wrong way. A lot of people have never forgiven her for bailing on the governorship. I mean, if you get the, the nomination to be a VP candidate, I mean, that's a life-changing moment. And it made her a wealthy lady. I mean, they struggled financially. All of a sudden, she's got a chance to be on the national ticket. Um, you take that chance and you become a celebrity to some degree. So her financial affairs are probably much better in order than they were prior to, but, but a lot of Alaskans believe she bailed, you know, and left them hanging. And, um, and, but when you look at the, the, the rank voting, um, it looked to me like, uh, it was kind of voter exhaustion. The Begich vote, he got the second most of the Republican, of the Republicans running. They just didn't come back at all. You know what I mean? And voted the second and third round as you eliminate candidates. But, but I, I want to go back to this about, um, the libertarian mindset integrated with the Republican brand. Um, I think the Republican brand leads libertarianism. I think it, because libertarian I mean, it gives you something to stand on, something to stand for. But I said it earlier. I'll say it again. The libertarian mindset can be a contributor to your political uh, agenda. It can be it can be a dominant part of your ideology. You can believe in libertarianism, but how do you enact? I mean, what sort of policies do libertarians want? I mean, they talk about the Constitution, limited government. Um, yeah, put me in, coach. I mean, I want to be a part of that team. But that horse has left the station. That train has left the barn. I mean, that's just not a reality. We're, we're living in realville now. And the, the reality is we've got a binary choice. Neither are advocating for limited government. So what policies are, are Republicans motivated by? Not candidates. What policy? See, I'm motivated by this anti-China, anti-intervention, anti-globalist. That's not conservative. I mean, that's not, I mean, I guess to some degree it's libertarian because it kind of makes, you know, uh, you know, we don't need to be negotiate trade deals with China, with, with anybody, any other country for that matter. Um, let free trade be free trade. And uh, why do we need deals? I mean, if free trade is free trade, why do we need a trade deal? You don't. Unless you're trying to store or skew the market, which is what they've done. But I want to go back to this article that I find interesting um, about Blake Masters. Because I think Blake Masters is the embodiment of the new Republican, more than Herschel Walker, more than Dr. Oz, um, I think more than J.D. Vance. I mean, of all the candidates that I've studied, researched, tried to understand, I'm more impressed with Blake Masters than I am anybody. Why is that? Because I think he's a true believer. I think J.D. Vance is a believer and a political opportunist. And I don't blame him. I mean, he gets a chance to be in the United States Senate. I mean, who wouldn't pursue that opportunity? And Vance is going to be our friend far more than he's not. I mean, J.D. Vance will be a big improvement over Rob Portman. I mean, Portman was an establishment Republican. I mean, he was a globalist, interventionist, kind of a, um, you know, nothing to see here. When he, I mean, he was in Washington when they uh, legitimized China by allowing them in the World Trade Organization. I think Blake Masters is probably as genuine as any candidate we have on the, uh, on the roster 
as it relates to America first. I think Blake Masters is more sincere, far more sincere than Donald Trump. I mean, Trump's a, I mean, we know this, guys. Trump's a salesman. I mean, he's a marketer. I mean, that's what he does. He sells a brand. He convinces you that what he's saying is something you've got to be a part of. And he's a master at it. I mean, he's the best I've ever seen at that part of American politics. J.D. Vance has a very compelling life story. Dr. Oz has celebrityism and, and personal uh, wealth that he can, you know, compete in Pennsylvania. Herschel Walker's a football icon. I'm the greatest football player I've ever seen in college. Talking about the start of college football tonight, I don't know who's playing who. There ain't a player any better than Herschel Walker was. I can assure you of that. But but all of these guys have their their uniqueness about them. There, there's certain quality that, that we become somewhat intrigued by. J.D. Vance wrote Hillbilly Elegy. I mean, that's the kind of guy we need in the Senate. I think it is. But I think Blake Masters is more of a true believer in America first. I want to read this. And this is not in Atlantic. This is not in the New York Times. This is not in the Washington Post. This is um, in the National Review. I mean, they, you know, they, they kind of advocate for conservative causes. But Kevin Williams is a fellow of the National Review Institute. I don't know what that means, but he's a fellow of the National Review. Sounds might be, good. He might even be a senior fellow Ooh. of the National Review Institute. But um, he wrote an article August 30th. Today is the first. I've been two days ago. Um, posted it at 532. And I read a lot of what KW says. That's how we refer to KW in some of the comment sections when I post under the name Dave Baker. Because um, <laughs> you paid the subscription I via the radio still, station still for me to be a, a premium subscriber to the National <laughs> Review and get inside information that only a few select are able to get. Um, yeah, when I go in and argue on some of these uh, message boards and uh, where you post your comments, it comes up Dave Baker. Oh, I can say any damn thing I want to say now. Uh, <laughs> and, you, and you waited quite a while to tell me that the other day was the first time. Here's, here's a knock on Baker's door. Hey, we're with the FBI. <laughs> We read these um these comments you put on the National Review. Uh, you got a few moments for our for our, for our investigators to sit down with you and your family and talk about some of these um <laughs> some of these toxic remarks you make. It wasn't on me. our on our comment section. Uh, would you Would you throw me under the bus? Would you rat me <laughs> no, out? I would oh, not. you would in I a minute. Would not. I'd say I don't yeah. know who that is. Those handcuffs have a way of um. I've been changing hacked. your mind. I've yeah. been hacked. There you go. I've been hacked. Um. Well, you can wipe it off with a cloth. You know what Hillary yeah. said? You don't wipe it off with a cloth? With a cloth? Uh, but anyway, here's the first question. I mean, I'd, I'd be like those guys they pull over on live PD. I'd be like, ah, that weed in my pocket. That's not mine. Not mine. Not mine. No, it's my brother-in-law's pants. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody else's pants. I don't know how to get it up in my, in my, in my closet. <laughs> yeah, these are my brother-in-law's pants. I didn't know he had weed in there. I don't know why they're in my closet. Um, <laughs> and see if anybody believes that. You know what I mean? I mean, how do you fix your mouth to say, these pants I have on aren't really mine. My brother-in-law left them in my closet, you know, a week ago, and I didn't know he had any weed in that. Uh, okay, good deal. But anyway, let's go back to KW. Um, the first sentence, you ready? Maybe Blake Masters was never pro-life in the first place, or maybe he was and buckled under pressure. Either way, he doesn't deserve your support. The, the point of this article, and I'm holding it up so Rev can see it here, mm -hmm. is... The National Review would rather the Democrats stay in charge than America first becoming successful. That's their animus toward Blake Masters. I mean, Blake Masters is a Republican, but he's not a conservative Republican. He's not a, a National Review Republican. He is a teal acolyte. I mean, he is very much in the, um, uh, well, I mean, let's just read this. Because I read you the first line. I want to make sure I attribute the, um, the language to um, KW. You ready? One of the problems with the weird little gaggle, oh, okay, the weird <laughs> little gaggle of Peter Thiel cultivated tech bros operating in contemporary Republican politics. Let me say that again. I think it's an interesting statement. 
One of the problems with the weird little gaggle of Peter Thiel cultivated tech bros operating in contemporary Republican politics. I mean, that's about as insulting as you mm-hmm. can get to Teal and to Blake Masters. Blake Masters prominent among them is that they are typically pretty smart. In fact, very smart, at least in terms of raw intellectual horsepower. And so they come to believe mistakenly that most laws don't apply to them. They think that politics is simple. It's the kind of, um, it's kind of an ag- algorithm. That's kind of an interesting take that they make. And I think KW may be right there. I think Williamson may be right when he says that some of these cultivated tech bros that uh, I call teal acolytes, um, he calls them a weird little gaggle. Um, I do believe that they look at politics at times as if it were an algorithm. But but they're also saying, well, these guys may be smart, but they're not really smart in the right way for the politics. Well, either he's saying that or he's saying they're smart enough to figure us out. Oh. That's what he's not saying. I, well, I mean, that's what he's implied. Right. I mean, when I read between the lines, as someone who's kind of a... Um, that's what he's afraid of. Well, I mean, there you go. There you go. That's what he's nervous about. That's what he's bothered by. One of the problems with the weird little gaggle of Peter Thiel cultivated tech bros operating in contemporary Republican politics is they're typically pretty smart. Real smart, in fact, at least in terms of raw intellectual horsepower. They think politics is imp- simple. That is some kind of algorithm. Weird little gaggle of tech bros. Hang on to that. Wow. There, there's a lot in this article and in this uh, conflict within the Republican Party. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Seven thirty on a Thursday morning means John Decker is with us. John is great television senior national editor, White House correspondent. John, good morning. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great, Ken. Hope you're having a great week as well. We are having a good week here. We've talked a lot about a lot of different subjects. Mar-a-Lago is still top and center or front and center. The majority of conversation has been about the Trump administration. Um, There there will be some revelations today. Um, What are the revelations that are to take place today, and what do you expect to happen? Well, today's hearing in a court in South Florida is on a very narrow issue. And that issue is whether or not uh, this federal judge who will he- uh, hold this hearing will name a special master, uh, a thir- neutral third party, to view all of the documents, everything seized at Mar-a-Lago during that search of the former president's home in Florida three weeks ago. And uh, we've already seen the briefs submitted by both the government, the DOJ, as well as the former president's lawyers. Uh, and we'll have to wait and see, obviously, uh, whether or not this judge uh, agrees with the arguments put forward by the government that a special master is unnecessary. They've already established a filter team. They separated out uh, the material that would be considered to be executive privilege or fall under the umbrella of attorney-client privilege, also separating out personal effects uh, or whether they agree with the viewpoint of the former president's lawyers that uh, a special master, a neutral third party, is necessary uh, for fear that there may be leaks coming from the DOJ over the course of the next few months while this criminal investigation continues. John, when it comes to the investigation, I mean, I've read Andy McCarthy of the National Review, a conservative uh, pundit and legal scholar. I mean, he suggests that he's no friend of Trump, but he's been fair-minded as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he's critical of Trump when he thinks he deserves to be criticized. He's critical of the government when he thinks the government deserves to be to be criticized. He thinks an indictment is is pending. 
Is, is that the consensus amongst the legal minds that pay much closer attention and understand the complications of this better than someone like I? Well, I read that column that you're referring to. I have a lot of respect for Mr. McCarthy. I think he made some good points, but I, I think he's premature in making those points. Uh, he has not seen all of the evidence that has been gathered by the Department of Justice. I haven't seen it. And so a lot of this is pure speculation. I will go out on a limb, however, and say I would be very concerned if I was the two lawyers whose names are attached to the documents submitted to the government indicating that the former president no longer had any classified material in his possession. They are officers of the court, uh, and they submitted a false statement to the federal government. I would be concerned about being indicted. I would be concerned about being a target of an investigation if I was those two lawyers. I think it's premature, however, to talk about the president being indicted at this point. I'll give a very lay opinion to this. If I'm a lawyer and Donald Trump calls me, I don't take his call. It just seems like it seems like every lawyer that gets closely associated ends up in some sort of um of conflicting and controversial story. President Biden will address the nation tonight. What do we expect out of this speech? Well, it's going to be a very political speech. Uh, I'm curious to see whether the broadcast networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC, cover this speech because it's coming about two months before the midterm elections. It's going to, according to the White House, be about the continued battle for the soul of the nation. Uh, They are calling this a major address, and they say that the president will discuss how America's standing in the world and its own democracy are at stake. But uh, I think that you're going to hear some criticism uh, leveled at Republicans. And for that reason, that's why I say it's very political. It's not one of those major primetime speeches uh, in which it makes sense to have the president uh, broadcast on ABC, CBS and NBC, a speech devoted to uh, you know, a war effort or a major policy announcement. This is political in nature, uh, and it's going to be touting, uh, you know, the Democrats and their efforts to retake control, I'm sorry, to keep control of both the House and the Senate. John, I have run for office eight times. I have, I've, well, I've run for office four times, eight times in primaries and general elections. Labor Day yeah. is always the time that you kick it into high right. gear. I mean, nothing matters prior to Labor Day. <laughs> Everything matters post-Labor Day. Um, I didn't believe in the polls. I didn't believe in the innuendos and the nuances until I got to Labor Day. And that's when you really begin to invest and understand. And and then almost the campaign consumes you. The politics consumes every aspect of your life. It's Labor Day weekend. I mean, we're a day away from Labor Day weekend. Uh, I'm not asking you to look into your crystal ball, but but how do the midterms appear to be shaping up um, in 2022? Well, you know, I think I was probably the first person on your radar that spoke about the Senate, and that was months ago. Uh, I, I said, look, I think that Democrats are going to hold on to the Senate, and I maintain uh, that forecast. I maintain that prediction. The House is going to be much more difficult uh, because what you have in the House, as you know, you're talking about a smaller uh, population of the electorate voting. Uh, you're talking about extremes, extreme on the left, extreme on the right, those are the people that get elected to Congress nowadays. And historically, uh, the party that's not in power gains 26 seats during a midterm election. That's historically. And if that were to happen, that would mean that uh, the control of the House would revert to Republicans. I think it's a little bit too early. As you point out, things really get uh, kicking into high gear after Labor Day. A lot can happen over the course of the next two months. 
I, I'm sticking my by my prediction for the Senate, but it's too early to say for certain. Uh, however, having said all of that, I, I would say Republicans have a 55 percent chance of retaking control of the House of Representatives as things stand today. See, I would say two and three. We're, we're, we're arguing a little bit about things we we're don't know, but there. I think it's somewhere around two and three chance of taking over the House. I agree with you on the Senate, unless something major happens and Republicans catch a break at some of these swings. Because the Republicans are playing a lot of defense, John. I mean, you have a lot of retirees, and I mean, this election cycle is a little more difficult and complicated for the Republicans. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with you on the Senate. I probably have the odds a little bit higher of the uh, Republicans winning the House. Thank you, John. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Have a good one, Ken. Yes, sir. Great television. Senior national editor, White House correspondent. See, that makes me sound official. I mean, I've got it here. I mean, I've got very few things I hold on to, but I've got this document I've held on to. Senior national editor, Mm -hmm. White House correspondent. (laughs) And regular contributor to Wake Up Regular contributor to Wake Up Every week. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville is our next caller. Hello, Joe. Yes, it's funny why Biden will go to Pennsylvania if they weren't worried about that race. You know, that's kind of how that works. The the thing that amazes me is why haven't anybody brought up impeachment against Biden? I mean, what he's doing on the border. Just let me give you an example. If... China came in and set up along the Mexican border and fired rockets into the United States and killed 100,000 people every year. You don't think we would go down into Mexico and take them out? Of course we would. Well, that's exactly what's happening now. Only the drug cartels are sending fentanyl and all these drugs across the border and killing 100,000 American citizens every year. And if that's not an act of war, I don't know what is. By leaving this border open, he is not following the laws that have been duly voted on, enacted by Congress, and signed in to law by the President of the United States. So he is violating his constitutional and and that is more impeachable than anything Trump's ever done. Because, you know, the, the, the Justice Department doesn't want these papers to get out unless they leak what gets out. See, they only want you to know little things. I think once you find out all these papers are a bunch of garbage, that, that Trump's already declassified anyway. I mean, he has a right to those papers, whether they're there or at the archives or anywhere else. But, you know, this this whole thing about the, the, the most egregious thing he's done is this border. And if the American people don't hold them accountable, you know, we're done. Because at, at the end of the, the, his term, there'll be about 8 million people coming into this country that we have no idea about. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. There is um, some pretty serious talk. In fact, some of the um, some of the conservatives, Freedom Caucus in particular, I mean, they've already prepared some documentation. Now, these are rank-and-file members, and they're conservatives, 
but they've already introduced impeachment articles in the current Congress about um, his approach to a range of issues. And I'm talking about uh, border enforcement would be one of the primaries, um, the coronavirus pandemic, what we did, what we didn't do, what um, the Constitution gave us the right to do, uh, what the executive authorities' limits are, um, and then the withdrawal of U.S. troops in Afghanistan. So there are already papers drawn. I mean, they're, they're waiting with bated breath, if you believe some of the rank and file. Now, that once again, that's not the leadership. I mean, I've not heard Kevin McCarthy say, you know, we're going to impeach former president, excuse me, current president Joe Biden. But um, but the rank and file conservative members of the House of Representatives are already formally introduced. Now, there is no way these resolutions see the light of day unless the speaker, obviously Pelosi's not going there. But if McCarthy becomes speaker, I mean, it'll be up to him and his office, uh, his top aides and assistants. Who does he trust? Uh, but once again, some of these Freedom Caucus members, what I call the rank-and-file conservative uh, in the House of Representatives, um, they've already filed, you know, papers, uh, impeachment documents. Uh, politically, I mean, should Republicans take the House? Yeah. Politically, should they do that? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, is, I think, is it payback time, or, well, I mean, or do yeah. you truly well, I mean, deserve you know, it? I mean, I, there's a little bit of both. I mean, I think there's some payback here, but I mean, I think he deserves, I mean, he, he refuses to enforce the laws on our southern border. He overstepped his, well, I mean, his executive authorities are broad and, and far-reaching, but he overstepped those boundaries in some of the pandemic um, moves he made, some of the coronavirus response. And and I think um, on the withdrawal to Afghanistan, I mean, there's just a, um, just, we screwed it up. I mean, how bad do you have to be to, to have people falling off the sides of airplanes, you know, as you leave your fellow Americans behind in Afghanistan? Um but, but to say there's not, an, uh, you know, uh, to, to say the Republicans aren't going to aggressively pursue uh, retaliation, and once again, Ref, to your point, maybe he deserves it, maybe he doesn't. That's what you have hearings about, you know, to make people go on the record and answer questions uh, under oath. Let's go to the phone. Eddie in Florence. Hi, Eddie. Hey, good morning, guys. How are y'all? Hey, Eddie. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Here you just fine. All right. Morning. Hey, uh, I was just curious what your uh, thoughts are on uh, Sleepy Joe Biden uh, enlisting TikTok to help out with misinformation for the election, midterms and the November elections in uh, 2024. I think there there are two interesting points here. I mean, obviously, it is a thank you for the call. Appreciate it, Eddie. It is a I mean, it's it's a it's a social media operation that I kind of joked around at. But I mean, now you see how many millions and billions of people are utilizing that platform it, the most alarming of all this information that we're gathering is what Mark Zuckerberg said on Joe Rogan's podcast. I mean, once again, TikTok does this, uh, Facebook does that, uh, Twitter does another thing. Mark Zuckerberg said on Joe Rogan's podcast that the FBI came to them and said, We want you to be aware. In 2016, there was a lot of Russian disinformation, and, and I guess you guys did the best you could. But we're warning you that in 2020, there are going to be a lot of uh, Russia, similar Russia disinformation to try to infect the outcome of the election. And we want you to be on guard. And, uh, you know, here's the here's the magic question. I don't know the answer. I don't know if we'll ever know the answer. Did they include as part of that commentary, the Hunter Biden laptop story? Or did Zuckerberg and Facebook choose to um, when the FBI says there's going to be some Russia disinformation? Did they leave it to Facebook's discretion to decide, you know, what they perceive to be Russia disinformation or not? There's no doubt that Twitter stopped the story, period. 
I mean, Twitter admitted that. Dorsey says he regrets it now, but he believed it was part of Russia disinformation. See, I think, I mean, obviously, if the FBI went to Facebook, they went to Twitter. I mean, it's not like they said, hey, let's go see Facebook, right. but leave Twitter alone. No. I mean, if they went to Facebook, they went to Twitter. And we um, know what Twitter did. Well, of course the they did. I mean, well, I mean, here's the question, though. Did the FBI insist that Facebook and Twitter treat the Russia, uh, excuse me, the uh, Hunter Biden laptop story as Russia disinformation? I mean, that, that's kind of the, the crux of the question here. And, and once again, Facebook has a right to censor. They shouldn't. And, and we can talk about some of the statutes and uh, some of the clauses and provisos in the government code about, you know, editorializing a social media platform and uh, free speech and all these other sorts of things. Now, um, that was Section 230 and some of the codes written, some of the statutes written. I think it's Section 230, if I'm not mistaken, to give them some immunity mm-hmm. uh, from uh, give them some protection from. You can't censor unless you've got government's permission to censor. And, and I think 230 kind of gives some of these social media platforms. Uh, they called it editorializing, content moderating, and all these. But it's censorship is what it is. And um, so, so when it comes to Biden and TikTok, I, I, the, the part that, I mean, I'm more reflective in this. It's not that, of course, I believe the Democrats work with TikTok and, t- and Twitter and Facebook and, and the media in general. I mean, you know, when, when you talk about Republicans, I mean, I read on 538, they've got Trafalgar tagged as a polling company paid for by Republican causes. I mean, there's a little designation. It's an asterisk that goes beside Trafalgar, and it says, basically, well, I mean, these folks are getting paid by Republicans, so obviously they're going to do the bidding of their masters, and they're going to make sure Republicans are treated more fairly in this poll than not. None of the other polls have an asterisk beside. The NBC News polls does not have an asterisk beside. Is NBC News not a politically active organization? Of course they are. I mean, they're, they're propaganda arm of the Democrat Party. Um, but I still go back to the um, to the unknown part. Zuckerberg said, Let, let's do this. I mean, let's see if we can find that interview between Joe Rogan and Mark Zuckerberg. I don't know if you've heard this, but it's, it's kind of compelling because Rogan is not a political operative. I mean, he's got political biases and, and opinions, I'm sure. But the majority of his guests are people who believe in God or don't believe in God or want to know where the, where the universe came from or actors or, you know, saint rock and roll stars. I mean, he has a kind of broad array of personalities and interesting and intriguing personalities. But but it's interesting when he and Zuckerberg have this uh, three or four or five minute, not debate, not argument, conversation about what the FBI did and what Facebook agreed to. Take a break. Back in just a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Go to the phone. Rodney and Florence. Hello, Rodney. Uh, I was born and raised in Darlington. And me and my wife went to the track. And they did an excellent job. It was like going to Mecca for an Arab to see that trophy. And we got free baseball caps. <laughs> when do you ever get anything for free? That's a good deal. Yeah, that, that I just had to. I just wanted to compliment them because nobody had. But Thank they you. did. Thank you, Rodney. You appreciate yeah. that. So, congratulations I to Darlington too. Raceway, and congratulations to the Atlanta Braves. It seems that that um that marriage made in. Oh, it wasn't made in heaven. It was made at Rev's permit. Uh, Rev, Rev basically forced those two groups together, NASCAR and the Atlanta Braves, and it apparently worked out. So congratulations, Rev, oh, congratulations, Darlington, and congratulations 
to the Atlanta Braves. Uh, they had the Braves trophy. So you went yesterday. I did. Of okay. course, you had to go get my picture with the trophy. Got, okay. got me a cap, too. But that's cute. Yeah, it is. Put it beside that picture you got with the Bay City Rollers. <laughs> I, I don't have one of those. Uh, but they also had the Cookout Southern 500 trophy and the NASCAR Cup was there. And they had a nice tent with cool air, a little air conditioning blowing in. They better get that trophy out of that infield before the weekend. <laughs> I'll just give them some friendly advice. And let's just say um, a replicate of the trophy. Uh, yeah, but the, uh, the the racetrack and the Atlanta Braves, everybody did a, did a great job. Good it deal. Was, good deal. Let's go to the good, phone. Good time. Uh, here is William and McCall. Hello, William. How y'all doing, Dave? Ken? Hey, now. How are you? You know, I'll turn 70 years old the 2nd of September. Happy birthday. And tomorrow. I, yes, sir. And uh, I've heard people talk about this and talk about that. There's nothing going to be done to none of these people that broke the law in government. Nothing. They they are waiting right now to see if the Democrats win this election in 2022. All these illegals that come into the United States, they're going to make citizens, and they're going to say to them, if y'all, if we make y'all citizens and y'all vote for us, keep us in office the rest of our lives, you'll never get sent out of this country no more. And that's what the Democrats is headed for. It ain't the... Is headed for them to have absolute power and be control us like China controls their country and like Russia controls their country. And people better open their eyes and look. That's what they're bringing all these people in here for so they can cheat and win the election and then make all of them citizens and use that to keep them in office. Thank you, William. Appreciate it. Happy birthday again. Look, I don't want the Republicans to do everything. I don't expect the Republicans to do everything. Do a couple of things. Do a few things. Secure the border. I mean, there are laws on the books that say uh, that there's an orderly way of which you immigrate to our country. Enforce those laws. I mean, make that a priority of your agenda. I mean, Trump said build a wall. It's not that simple. It's more complicated than that. But to the Republican Party, be a party that understands in the sovereignty of a nation. Secure the border. Don't legitimize China. Understand that China is a geopolitical adversary that wants to replace us, not complement us, replace us as the preeminent superpower in the world, um, militarily, uh, economically, every aspect of society, China wants to be the dominant force in the world. Understand that, address that, create policies that deal with that. Is it tariffs? Might be, might not be. Is it, is it monitoring trade? It might be, might not be. Is it securing a more dependable supply chain? I mean, I think it is. But, but it's, it's, I'm not asking the Republicans to be all to all. I mean, that's impossible in politics. Um, don't get us involved in wars that don't have American interest at heart. Do not. I mean, if, if the American people are not at risk and American interests are not um, in harm's way, we don't have any business there. It's not our job to police the war. We can't export democracy to places that don't want to be free. So the point I'm making is the, the Republican agenda needs to be very concise. I don't want to say simple. Nothing simple about securing the border. Nothing simple about, you know, geopolitical adversaries. But have three or four um, commitments that you make to your voters and advance policy and legislation that help execute those sorts of policy initiatives. That was the intrigue I had with Trump. That's the, the intrigue I had with Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel is anti-intervention. He's anti-globalist. He's anti-open border, and he's anti-China. That's kind of where I line up. Let's get those few things right. 
Some of the others will fall through the cracks, but if we get those right, we're a much better and more secure and more prosperous America. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few minutes. I want to get back to this National Review story on Blake Masters. I just find this to be very interesting. Um, the Teal Bros. <laughs> you know, that's what Kevin Williams at the National Review, mm-hmm. the weird little gaggle of Peter Teal cultivated tech bros operating in contemporary Republican mm. politics. That's kind of an interesting. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll delve into that in just a bit. Right now, let's go to the matter at hand, and that is the um, the former president, Donald Trump, has requested a special master they're going to have a court hearing today. Fox News Radio's Ryan Schmelz is with us this morning. He's in our nation's capital. Ryan, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. It's the first week of college football. So, you, you, well, second week, technically. Yeah, but but the first real week since the SEC's kicking into gear, and we know college football isn't college football without the good old SEC leading, leading the way. <laughs> um, what exactly is a special master? What is a win for Trump? What is a loss for Trump? Uh, I think that, well, first of all, on your question about what the special master is, pretty much it's a third party. It's supposed to be an unbiased third party that's going to be looking over these documents to uh, determine what was classified and what, um, you know, it may have had executive privilege. And so that's what the special master, if appointed, would do. Um, And I guess, you know, I I think you could probably say an early win for Trump in this case would be if, if the judge goes through with appointing the special master and gives him what he's been, what his legal team has been asking for, which is this third party review. Uh, and a loss you know, could easily be the judge turning down that request, even though the judge had already said that she intended to appoint one. But after the DOJ made, made its argument this week, you know, it, it could, that could change easily. Ron, what do we say to Americans? I mean, you're inside the belly of the beast. You're inside the beltway, so to speak. I mean, what, what can the, the establishment, the, the political order of America. And I'm talking about Republicans, Democrats, Trumpsters, non. But what can the government do to convince the Trump voter? Because it's not a, a majority of Americans, but it is a significant plurality that don't believe this president will ever get a fair shake by anybody in D.C. I mean, obviously, there's a conundrum there. And, and it's real. I mean, it, it's intense and it's problematic to self-governance. But, but is there anything that can come out of this that leads what I'll call Trump's army into believing that, that he does get a fair shake at certain times. Well, that's a, um, and that, that's a really strong question and a really interesting question you pose because there is a significant amount of trust, especially in, in uh, amongst Trump supporters uh, within the, the government and the justice department, especially. So they're, they're trusted right now is, is, is really struggling, especially to hit, on the the right side of the aisle. Now, uh, I, you could argue that maybe the special master is a way to bring transparency to this, or at least bring trust with the investigation. So that really depends. And and, and I, you know, transparency could always be a solution to this. But you know, public trust, especially from conservatives right now amongst the Justice Department, is is a little uh, faulty. There, there's a belief in flyover country, uh, and we'll call it SEC country. <laughs> there's a belief that people inside the Beltway can't relate. They're disconnected. Uh, is, is that a concern? I mean, I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, and I know you're a reporter, not an opinion monster like I am with four hours of, of talk radio, but it seems to me that a lot of the problem is that this disconnect that people out here have with people in there. 
Well, you know, that, that's also an interesting question you pose. I can tell you living in D.C., there's a lot of people from all over the country who move to this, this part, to this uh, city to either work in politics or work in something related to that, whether it's activism or working for, you know, a member of Congress or, you know, ultimately ending up some people running for Congress and then coming here. But, you know, there has been that discourse with or that distrust with the government. You know, I believe Congress's approval rating has been very low with over the last uh, probably 10 years, maybe even longer than that. So, you know, I, I do feel like you're right. There, there, there are a lot of people who raise that concern about um, a feeling of disconnect between Congress and, and, and the rest of the country. But, you know, there, there are a lot of people in this, in this city who travel from all over the world to come here and, and work here. So it, I think it's an interesting question you pose, but it's a hard one to answer. If you figure it out, let me know, and we'll um, we'll drink a beer at an SEC football game and discuss further. Thank you for your time, Ryan. Absolutely. Thank you. You know, I'm always careful to not drag these guys. The Fox allows us to have his guest out of the um, – They're journalists the, and well, reporters. I mean, yeah, and I drag them into the ether of conservative talk radio, and that's a bit unfair. But, you know, you get these guys inside the, the beltway, and I want to hear what their take is. They realize there's a disconnect. They realize the declining trust people have – and the government institutions, uh, you know, kind of ingrained in our government. And, you know, I just don't know that they realize how problematic it could be. You know, I think when, when they see the hayseeds and the hillbillies and the rednecks, that's all they see. And I think, you know, when, when I see the Trump movement, I see some of the hayseeds, hillbillies and rednecks. And there are days I would group me into one of those um, factions. But, but there, there's, a, there's a certain seriousness about this problem that I don't think inside the Beltway wants to deal with. As long as they can dismiss it as just hellions, you know, just people who won't do I mean, they're rambunctious and angry and mad and, and frustrated. Life didn't work out. Uh, for whatever reason, they want to take it out on government. I mean, if you can argue that, that gives you a lot more cover than engaging in a serious and realistic debate about, hey, man, we've got this problem. I mean, we're responsible for governing this country. And I'm talking about D.C. proper. I mean, we have an obligation to govern the country, how do we do that when 35, 40% don't trust anything we say? If it was 6 or 8% or 10 or 12%, I mean, that would be historically normal. I mean, I, I would argue that 15, 20% of Americans never trust the government, Republican or Democrat. But that number has about doubled. I mean, we're at about 40% of Americans today that don't believe anything the government says. Show me. Let me look under the cover. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but I don't buy it. Prove to me. I mean, there was a day in America when, once again, there, there's always been 20% that wanted to look under the cover. They didn't trust what you were telling them. And historically, I've been one of that 20%. But but I'm not on an island now. I mean, I use this analogy a lot. I mean, do you think it's a good thing that that number is higher? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll give you the best analogy. I, oh, no question. No question. I mean, if, you, if you're someone who wants a revolution and some sort of political disruption, yeah. I mean, I've told you before, the only number that Teal's interested in is the distrust people have in institutions. It's not right track, wrong track. He wants to know the percentage of Americans that, that don't have much faith nor trust in their government. I mean, that's really, I mean, that, that is the ultimate political disruption. And I think that's what, when you hear the, the administration say that the, they call them the MAGA, the ultra MAGA or whatever, a threat to democracy, is that not what they're talking that's about? That's exactly what they're talking about. And I'll, get, I'll illustrate this in a, in a more personal way. So I've told you before, many, many, many times, my world includes, I mean, I've got an inner circle of about probably 10 or 12 people, and they're business people by and large. Um, some are partners, some are just friends. 
and um and we associate i mean we talk a lot we meet about a lot of different things and invariably toward the end of the meeting is politics they know i do this uh, they listen to the show not every moment of every day but they listen um you know casually and passively to what we talk about over these airwaves so we're in the meeting and um and we're talking about business and what we're going to do and build a road here or not build a road buy that or not buy that or lost money on this made a little money on that uh, and it's uh, it's not a daily affair but it's every other it's at least twice a week more times than not three times a week that we get together and we email we text we talk uh person to person or over, over the phone but but in the last year the meeting always concludes with and i'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here but the meeting always ends with um they, they're turning me into you what do you mean they're turning <laughs> you into me well i mean you you've never trusted the government i mean we've been meeting 10 years 12 years I mean, you didn't trust him 10 years ago. You didn't trust him 12 years ago. I thought you were a little bit off your rocker. I thought you were a little bit extreme. I thought you were a little bit out there. The majority of what you believe then has come to fruition. I mean, I never imagined they'd make me pay for someone else's student debt. I never imagined they shut my business down and then turn me into an unemployment agent. I mean, I, there, there's no way you would convince me that, that the American government would go down that road. But you kind of warned me. I mean, you kind of told me, hey, man, these guys don't pump the brakes. But I mean, they press the gas. They don't know how to, um, you know, you know, rein themselves in. They don't know how to check themselves. If given an opportunity, they're going to take more power. They're going, you know, extract more liberties and freedoms. And I mean, that's just the nature of government. And and it, it always ends up. And that's so interesting to me. And I would never call names, but but all of these people invariably end up saying they're they're, they're slowly but gradually turning me into you. I had, a, I, you know, I trusted about half of what the government says. Now I trust about a third of what they said. Heading quickly to about a fourth of what, of what they say. Um, some have kind of gotten to the extreme of me. You know, they don't trust a damn thing the government says. Nothing, zero, uh, because they've just proven to be untrustworthy. Let's go to the phone. Here's Matt in Florence. Morning, Matt. Hey, guys. Since we're speaking about trust and everything, I'm not so so sure a special master is going to be good for Donald Trump. Like, I know a special master are two different things, but we all remember that scumbag Bob Mueller. I mean, who selects the special master? Is it going to be the biased judge that signed the warrant in the first place or that's doing it? I mean, she's just going to pick one of her Hillary Clinton friends, and then they and then they will have validation of, like, see, Trump got what he wanted with the special master. Never mind her Facebook post saying that he should be burned at the stake. You know, like, I don't, I don't see this work. It, it, whenever the last time this was tried, it did not work out well for Trump. It probably won't work out well this time either. They're just going to get some biased judge that's going to be like, yeah, everything in here is fair game, you know, and, and he's going to get screwed over by it. That's my opinion. That's kind of what I see happen. But I trust the government zero. So, Thank you, Matt. Appreciate that. 843 a federal judge, I mean, Ryan was kind of clear about it. A federal judge today will, will decide basically on how to move forward um, with former President Donald Trump's, what, request to have a special master assigned um, about these documents seized during the raid at Mar-a-Lago. Um, and, and once again, this is typically an attorney. Uh, is always appointed by the court, uh, and it's a third party. So, so, you know, the third party gives what the appearance of, you know, uh, no impropriety here. I mean, we're doing it exactly the way it needs to be done. I mean, I'm not in the Trump camp. I'm not in the anti-Trump camp. Um, the problem is if you pick somebody in D.C. 
uh, an attorney. Let's say we we appoint somebody special master. They're going to be above reproach. <laughs> They're going to be a man of integrity or a woman oh, of yeah. integrity. Uh, you know, they, they, they have impeccable credentials, right? Mm-hmm. And they're going to be from Washington. But I mean, they're not going to be from Hoboken. They're not going to be from Des Moines. The damn sure won't be from Florence, Sumter, Orangeburg. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. So the point he's making is, um, if you get the appointment of a special master, is it Bob Mueller reincarnated? Probably. And the media will kind of preface any of the investigation by saying this person is of impeccable credentials. I mean, their, their word is gold. Um, they've, they've always done the right thing you know they've had so many opportunities to stray and 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 do politically motivated things they've never done that um you're, you're there's a 10 percent excuse me there's a one percent chance that you find somebody that's going to give donald trump i mean there's a chance that there are probably one percent of attorneys in washington who would honestly and sincerely be considered i mean there's more than that would give trump a fair shake but they wouldn't be considered i mean if you're friendly to trump if you've ever tweeted anything or, or posted anything on Facebook that would lead these people to believe that, that you're a little bit sympathetic to the America First movement, that this populism within the Republican Party, I mean, you're going to be excluded from being considered. So there's probably a 1% chance that a special master would be truly objective and fair-minded about what to do, what not to do. Well, I mean, if it's 1% for Trump, that means there's a 99% chance that he doesn't get a fair shake. You're, you're, you're basically, you're asking somebody to bite the hand that feeds them, right? I mean, they're a creature of Washington. They, they made a wonderful living off of their connections, relationships, the, um, the contacts of Washington. And we're going to basically forsake all that to make sure Cheeto Jesus gets a, a fair shake? No <laughs> way, Jose. Let's go to the phone. Here's Sam in Darlington. Good morning, Sam. Morning, guys. Um, on, the, uh, on the special master and... And the you know the files that he was uh, storing down there. I'm not so interested in um, whether the the uh, intelligence agencies had stamped secret or top secret or whatever on those boxes. I mean, you know, if that's the only thing the special master is going to find out, you know, was was the a top secret stamp on this file well you know that doesn't really tell me anything why would he have what i want to know is what's in the file and uh and of course the the intelligence agency said well we can't tell you that or we have to kill you you know uh that's national security well is it is it really national security uh it you wonder, I mean, I, I don't, of course, I have no way of knowing, but I, you wonder if Trump didn't take some files down there that that if the, if the contents were known, it would expose, it would embarrass the, the intelligence and, you know, the FBI and the CIA and show that they were deliberately manipulating public opinion to to in America to get it to go along with what they thought uh, it should be, and um, and you know somehow they define that as being national security, but it's not really, and it uh, it's not you know it seems to me you could if you, somebody looked through the files they could find things like that uh, and re- release them to the public uh, without endangering. Um, 
spies on the ground and so forth. Um, but but uh, that would be that would be great to see that to have somebody look through and say, okay, this thing doesn't endanger anything. This doesn't really endanger national security, regardless of what the the government says. And um, here's what's here's what it is. Um, that's too much to hope for, I know. But you know, that's to me, that's the question. Interesting. Thank you, Sam. I think the most legal exposure from what I've read, Andy McCarthy, a couple of others at the Wall Street Journal have written pretty in-depth exposés on what they what they believe. Well, they don't know everything, but they, 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 they've got some sources and they've got some leaks uh, that they're interpreting certain things off of. Um, I'm led to believe that they think if Trump has any legal peril, it's obstruction of justice. I mean, we'll never know what is included in that top secret or confidential documents. I mean, we'll never know. Um, that is it the nuclear code was it going to sell it to china i don't i mean nobody knows that all right i mean i read something the other day on npr where you know that there's a reason to believe that trump had his son negotiating with a foreign government about nuclear codes or some of the nuclear uh, anyway that that's kind of bizarre to me um i mean i don't think there's any doubt trump had things he shouldn't have had but that's not historic i mean a lot of american presidents have bartered and negotiated after the fact they leave the white house they take some things uh, we find out after the fact, the archivist says, hey, he took some stuff he should have taken. we got to get that stuff back. What where Trump could have a problem is saying that they had already given it all back when they hadn't. Um, not disclosing everything he had in his possession. And I think categorically that could be obstruction of justice. I mean, you got to get a little bit creative. And there's some, I don't know, um, legal jiu-jitsu that has to be um, performed. But but that that to me. And, and once again, I'm not, that's not my opinion. That's my interpretation of the opinions that I've read that don't seem to be out to get Trump, nor trying to defend every move he's ever made. These are fairly objective opinions. And, and it appears to me, you know, um, his legal exposure, if you will, is obstruction of justice. Um, what happens if he's indicted for instruction or obstruction of justice? I don't have any idea. I mean, I don't know what the political fallout to that is. You don't. We speculate. I mean, I don't think I don't think it matters. I think Trump's Teflon when it comes to that sort of thing. I think he's a martyr when it comes to I think the more the DOJ targets Donald Trump, the more loyal his support. Now, now I've noticed this in some of the polling. There is an exhaustion factor kind of embedded. In other words, you are a Trump supporter, but not a loyal Trump supporter. You're just tired of it, man. I mean, you're just tired of every time you turn around, Trump is at odds with some government agency. I mean, you don't you don't know if he's right or wrong. You don't know if it's just or unjust, but you're just kind of let. Wow, damn. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I'm sorry. You've had people say that. Damn, man. I mean, this son of a gun would rather climb a tree and argue than stand on the ground. And that and, might be somewhat the goal of those agencies well, I mean, I'm sure and the that's opposition. The goal. I mean, they're like, sure. They haven't been able to separate the supporters from Donald Trump yet, so let's just create so much fatigue there that that's kind of our last chance. You'll never separate Trump from his loyal supporters. You could from some of his supporters. Does that make sense? Sure. I mean, the, the Trump loyal supporter will endure whatever exhaustion or whatever. It doesn't matter. Fatigue is your word. Um some of the Trump supporters would say, hey, DeSantis is good enough for me. I mean, I'm just tired of this. It's, it's every time I turn around, he's got a lawyer. They've got a lawyer. They out to get him. He's out to get them. We got to turn this page and move on. I get that. I mean, I hope we, I hope we don't kind of give in to that, but I certainly understand the human emotion. Take a break. We'll be back 
in just a minute. One of these days, I'm getting back to this um, National Review article about Blake Masters, but as usual, we're going to try to put our callers first. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Hello, David. Hey, good morning. Hey, Ken, I think you mentioned that uh, West Virginia is playing Pittsburgh tonight. Yes, they are. And those two campuses are only about 75 miles apart. And I'm thinking about old Joe Biden. He's he's camped out here in Pennsylvania now. And when I think of Pittsburgh, you remember the immaculate reception. That was Terry Bradshaw and Franco Harris. The Gamecocks had an immaculate reception back in the day in 1985. Do you remember that one? In 1985. That, that would have been the last time we played in Pittsburgh. Um, that was one of the highlights of the whole decade. Remember Mike Holm? Yep, I sure do. He played like old friend Tarkington, scrambled around through a pass, bounced off somebody's shoulder pad, and Raynard Brown ran it in for a touchdown. But um, uh, Biden was in a Wilkes Bar the other night, and this county, I think it's Luzerne County, but Obama won that county back in 2012 like by 5%. Trump won in 2016 by 19%, and Trump won in 2020 by 12%. So there must be a little strategy out there to try to build up some support for the Democrats in, in the hinterlands there. But, man, he's in Philadelphia tonight, man, and I'm telling you, that's where they rack up their power base. I mean, they get like 81% of the vote in Philly. So what you may want to do, ask, ask Mike, why is that? He's, he likes Philly, right? I mean, have somebody explain that to me. And one last thing I was thinking about, I don't know if you guys had mentioned about when Gorbachev died, I think it was yesterday or the day before. Think about how the map of Europe has changed since we were talking about 1985. I think that's when he took his power. But um, they've talked a little bit about Reagan, but I will congratulate the American people with that whole deal because Reagan won 49 out of 50 states. And we were actually a together nation. We had a good economy back then. And these foreign countries, they look at that. I mean, they want to see if the United States is on because we're not like that anymore. But anyway, I just want to mention that. You guys have a good day. Thank you, David. Appreciate that. Yeah, college football starts tonight. Um, the campaign season, and, and I've been a part of these. I mean, you know, the summer's dead. I mean, the polling says this, and the commentary says that. Don't pay any attention. It doesn't matter. I mean, you're beginning to see the campaigns uh, really, really focus on the last, what, two months of a run. You got September, October, first week of second week. I uh, really got a full week in November, but it's about a, a two-month dash from Labor Day until the finish line in November. And, I mean, you, you'll see messaging and fundraising. Um, I did see where McConnell, um, they're going to, de- to delay some of the um, – the Republican Senatorial Committee has money available to invest in candidates that they believe – have a chance to win them, but they don't play in New York. They don't spend money. You're wasting money. Republicans don't spend money in South Carolina unless they get some framed poll that convinces them that Jamie Harris has a chance to beat Lindsey Graham. You know, that that's why I don't pay a lot of attention to the Fetterman Oz poll or the Masters um, Kelly poll, because some of those companies are exactly the same companies that try to convince South Carolinians that Jamie Harris was in a dead heat with Lindsey Graham and he lost by 10 or 12 points. Um, Post-Labor Day, really start paying attention to what some of the movements are, what some of the messaging is, what some of the polls are. And I'm worried about this. Um, in Arizona, Blake Masters is not going to get the support of the Republican Senatorial Committee until October. Historically, they've invested in September. So you've got a four-week run of ads. And and the Republican Senatorial Committee is going to short Blake Masters by somewhere between 4 and $8 million. Um, why? Because they don't think he can win 
or they don't want him to win. Mm. I mean, I think that's the really – I mean, that, that's kind of the question I pose right. to a lot of us. Um, and, and I want to get into this article in yeah, just a second. But who makes those decisions? I mean, is it McConnell? McConnell in, in, in concert with a couple of others. I mean, some of the big donors. I mean, McConnell can't say, hey, I'm taking your money and I'm deciding a loan exclusively where it's spent. But McConnell is the – you know, he's the minority leader, was the majority leader. He's a very influential American politician. And when they make investments in the Republican Party – McConnell's normally in the room explaining to them what the objectives are, what the priorities are. Um, I don't know that. I mean, I think there's a lot of problem with Blake Masters in the chamber. I think the Chamber of Commerce in America is concerned about Blake Masters' populism being sincere. The Chamber of Commerce doesn't care what you say as long as you legislate uh, to their advantage. In other words, they, they understand if there's a populist sentiment in the Republican electorate, they understand you got to play that game. They're, they're not bothered much by that. But when you go to vote, you better make sure you vote in the chamber's best interest. Or some of the corporatists and some of the, um, some of the well, I mean, let's, let's be honest what they are. They're oligarchs. I mean, we don't like to say that because we'd rather say the word Russian in front of that. <laughs> but there are American oligarchs. I mean, we live in a uh, rep- representative republic. Some just have a lot more representation than others. Money talks and bull crap walks. Let's go to the phone. Bobby in Hartsville. Hi, Bobby. Hey guys, I want y'all to know y'all be real proud of Mike. Um, I I just conducted a test. I called in a few minutes ago and I said, "Hey, I just got a question." Click. He hung up on me right away. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got a question for you. What happened to your Dodgers? What happened to our Dodgers last night? Man, I know. I told. I I was like, man, those Braves fans—they the biggest Dodgers fans this this three days, Mm -hmm. you know, than than any. But uh, yeah. It was that pitcher. Yeah, DeGrom, DeGrom's good. I mean, he's as good as anybody in the game right now. I just hope Scherzer's not pitching tonight. <laughs> he's not. I can't I don't know who is. But uh, anyway, my question was that I was going to ask him is, did y'all say that uh, that there was a way to go back and listen to uh, previous shows? And if, if so, how would I do that? Yeah, uh, absolutely. The show archives every day are uploaded right to the Live 95 uh, webpage at live953.com. And down near the bottom of the page, there is a podcast player. Uh, Also, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can get them at all the uh, platforms, including uh, Apple and uh, Google and iHeart and all of them. If you just search for Wake Up Carolina, you should be able to find and subscribe to the podcast. And and every show now is archived to those locations. Okay. And uh, one more thing I was going to tell you, kind of like a marketing uh, thing, uh, advice which i'm not a marketer but i just thought about this uh, y'all used to mention about the uh, listening on the tuning app or whatever i don't hear y'all say very much about it anymore i know i had a friend uh he said i only catch about 20 minutes of it on my way to work i said man all you got to do is go to the tuning app and i said it's on there and uh, so he, i mean he didn't know anything about it and then another thing uh i was thinking about all these people that's traveling by the two interstates you know they may catch something to, Ken's talking about. I was like, oh, I want to hear the rest of that. And uh, but they go out of the listen area. You know, maybe they can. Uh, if y'all mention that enough times, like you do your phone number, they could just tune in. There. Thank you, Bobby. Okay. Appreciate it. Yeah, Bobby said he didn't know anything about marketing, but he's going to give us a lot of marketing advice. Yeah. And we're stupid enough to believe you. You know what I mean? <laughs> the guy tells you, I know nothing about marketing, but I'm going to give you some marketing some advice. Ideas. So Rev and I both are writing down yeah, hey, the guy idea. that said I don't know about marketing. <laughs> okay, the guy that doesn't know anything about marketing said, here's how we need to market, and we'll probably we'll probably try to do some of that. Um, <laughs> and it's, I, and I, it I sounds take, like you're doing a pretty good job of helping us market, well, I mean, But, too, but I want to take full people. responsibility of this, and, and this is not Rev's fault. Um, Rev is 
I mean, just just drilled in me over and over and over again that there's beauty in repetition. Um, you know, if you got something on your mind that is kind of a hot button issue, don't be afraid to talk about it at six and again at eight. We we have an audience that transitions in and out. I just feel like I'm not doing my job if I'm repeating myself. I mean, I think you know they, they do it on the national. Well, they sure shows they do. I mean, they rebroadcast all the time certain segments that are kind of hot button issues, and um, and I just I don't do a good job of that. And the other thing, I, I think I've gotten better at the phone number. I mean, there was a day somebody I don't know the number. The guy never, but, but I've done a better job. I've trained myself as we come in and out of breaks, normally to give the phone number, but I don't give Rev time to tell you how to listen online. I mean, there, there's some of the structure of radio that I am lousy at. I mean, I, I, I'm just not good at it. I'm not formally trained in any of this. And I kind of take off and go. And the next thing you know, we're talking about, you know, from college football to people falling off planes in Afghanistan. And I mean, I, if there's any beauty in this show, I guess that's it. It's kind of ever moving. It's ever changing. It's, um, it's not as structured as it should be. And because of that, we fail to do some of the, uh, what I call the orders, you know, and that is to direct people other ways. I mean, we don't sell coffee mugs and T-shirts saying, you know, El Rushbo. You know, I mean, I, I just, I can hear that because Limbaugh had kind of trained himself to make that a part of the um, the every 20-minute cycle mm-hmm. of conservative talk radio. So um, to Rev's credit, he's tried to, <laughs> uh, you know, press upon me how important those things are. Other than the phone number, I'm terrible at it. I mean, I just, I'd rather tell you about Blake Masters and Kevin Williamson than I had, you know, here's how you can go online. I, w- I will say this. When these guys came to us about six weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, and said we want to rebroadcast some of the content on a different sort of forum or medium, that being a podcast, um, I get these podcast results via email and I don't do a podcast. <laughs> You know, I, I told Rev one day, I said, how are we getting podcast measures when I don't do a podcast? He said, well, they're taking the content and re-delivering the content on different formats. And we have thousands of you. I mean, I mean it. I mean, it, it kind of surprised me because I called Rev one day when I get this email, I said, this can't be right. He said, no, it's right. I mean, there are thousands of you that go back and listen after the fact. And that's flattering to me, mm-hmm. but, but I got to do a better job. And I guess we collectively have to do a better job at understanding um, we, we, we built somewhat of a brand here and people like to be a part of this and, um, and we got to do a better job of telling you, uh, I just feel salesy. Does that make sense? Yeah, but you're I, I just feel business. a bit salesy you need to sell when, when I do that. And, and I got this thing about, uh, I don't want to be a radio star. I don't have any interest in being a radio star. Too late. I want to be a dude on the radio who communicates what he believes to a group of like-minded people. That's what I wanted to do on day one. That'll never change. The day I stopped wanting to do that is the day that I need to be off the radio because I've ever, I've never, ever perceived myself as a radio personality. I'm a dude from a town with no stoplight who has a lot of opinions and notions about American politics and life in general, isn't afraid to say what he believes to a universe of people who are probably more sympathetic than average, more agree- agreeable than average mm-hmm. to my sentiments and my beliefs. So, um, you know, that's kind of what we do. But, but I do a lousy job of directing you to some of the other agencies within. And I'll add this, since we talked about how to listen to old shows on demand via podcast and via the website, we are streaming, of course, all the time on, uh, on live953.com, also on WDXY1059.com, our affiliate from Sumter. So you can go to either one of those sites and 
bring up the player and always hear the show live. And if you have a device like a Google Assistant, uh, you can always tell it to play. And I think, well, I think if you say, if you tell your device to play WFRK, the call letters for Live 95, it'll bring the show and the station stream right up on your device. Uh, Freehold wants to jump in here. What, uh, what do you say, Northern Aggressor? <laughs> no, I was, I was going to add. So, uh, well, Dave kind of just uh, covered it at the last second. Um, but uh, for some reason, if you go to the App Store, it's kind of hard to find it if you just put Live 95. So if you put the call in letters, WFRK, it will absolutely pop up. So if you can't find it from Live 95, make sure you go WFRK. And, Good deal. And, and I, I actually need to throw in that uh, we're probably going to be trans um, moving away from the apps. We have these apps that a lot of people had for a number of years. I think that those are actually going to phase out at some point, I've been told by corporate, uh, which means that the if you can't get it on an app, uh, then it's always available to play on the device as if it were an app uh, through the website, through Live953.com. That's what I hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and you know where I heard it from? You just now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so I'll keep doing what I do. And, and I guess this is a good time to say thank you for your loyal, list, your loyal listenership. It's the only way that we're allowed to do this. Take a break. Back. Thank, thank you for your marketing ideas, Bobby. Yeah, Appreciate the, that. The guy that knows nothing about marketing. But, but he helped us out. Hey, those Dodgers must win tonight. <laughs> the Dodgers must beat the Mets tonight, or the Braves are really facing an uphill struggle. Take a break. Back in a minute. What is the what is the guy that says I hardly ever do this, but when I do, I mean, is it the most interesting man in America? No, I mean, it, there's an advertising campaign. Uh, I hardly ever drink or I hardly ever is smoke, but when I do, is it Dos Equis? Is that you know, I hardly ever of? drink, but when I do, it's Dos Equis. I'm hardly ever wrong, <laughs> but when you are, but when I am, I'll admit it. Oh, and and I made a statement yesterday that has proven to be incorrect. And I hardly ever do that. Um, <laughs> I do that a lot. I just say it so fast and and uh, and with such an accent, nobody mm. really understands. Did he say that or not? I didn't understand what that boy said. Um, this must be a good one because me, you're really setting it up. I said yesterday, and I was frustrated about the crime, and I text with the sheriff, and um, you know, I really want to be a part of that. We talked about wanting to be a part of stopping that referendum. I want to be a part of creating a legitimate, and I'm not talking about a campaign or a symposium or a forum. I mean, I want to I want to get down to the nitty gritty and let's address the crime problem in this community. I want to be a helping hand in that. I'm not Frank law enforcement. Though, minute, I'm not a law enforcement agent. I'm not an elected official. I can't do anything in an official capacity, but but I can contribute ancillarily to making sure we are confronting and addressing these problems in a meaningful and matter of fact way. I want to be a part of that. I'm not talking about, uh, hey, ride by that camp, that that sign and tell me. I don't want to. I don't want to see that. I want to know are do, do are we are we adequately equipping law enforcement? Are they motivated to address the crime problem in the area? If not, are they being told not to? Who's holding back? Who doesn't have the gumption, the fortitude to push forward and make sure we're aggressively pursuing the violent criminals in uh, in our community? That that's what I want to be a part of, and I want to be forceful about it. Um, Mike, Jay, and Philip will, well, I mean, at least one, maybe all three, uh, more than likely two, will be here tomorrow, and I want to make that part of our conversation. I've told the sheriff, um, T.J. Joy, that I think right now he's the most important elected official in this county, and I think T.J. is the right man to address the issues that we have relating to crime. He's committed to doing this. Um, 
He needs all in from the community, from some of the legislative and county council and city council, for that matter. I'm not real familiar with the city police department. I've heard some good things. I've heard some not so so good things. I don't have any idea um, what the internal organization of that department looks like because I never served on city council. I never set a budget for the city council. I mean, I was on county council. I did did deal directly with sheriff's budgets and, and the allocation of funds and what they can and cannot do. Um, I want to be a helping hand in, in making sure the sheriff's department is equipped to address the criminal issue. I know this for a fact that Jay Jordan and Philip Lowe last year went to bat with everything they had to secure funding for guns and armaments and ammunition and a lot of other um, things that the sheriff's department requested, and I know they'll do it again. So so we've got to forcefully address the, the violent crime in this community, um, and I want to begin that conversation tomorrow. And, and I really Good. want to be, all I can do is talk about it. I mean, I don't vote on anything. I certainly don't lock anybody up, but we've got a problem in this community and we got to uh, aggressively address it. And I said, it's much worse today than it was when I was a kid. And the numbers just don't bear that out. Hmm. They just simply do not take a break back in a minute. Down the coast in 17 hours, picking me a bouquet dogwood flowers, and I'm hoping for Riley I can see my baby tonight. So rock me, mama, like a wagon wheel. Rock me, mama, any way you feel. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. So that song was written by whom? Dylan. Okay, Bob Dylan writes mm-hmm. the song. Rev made me listen during the last break the YouTube video of Bob Dylan's original recording of that song. Might be the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I mean, it's from a it's from a another dimension. I mean, it's it's somewhere other than human beings. So here's the deal, right? Dylan toys around with the idea it's called rock me mama i mean it eventually got renamed wagon wheel but it's called i mean he had a couple of lyrics called rock me mama you know like the wind in the rain rock me like a southbound train um but he sings it in a studio in an experimental fashion the only recorded version i've ever heard of dylan singing that song so he asked the producer to turn the mic down in front of him he wanted the mics adjacent on either side to hear his voice uh projected i guess in this weird <laughs> <laughs> he might be the weirdest human Why? being in the Why? history of mankind. Um, but so, so, so Rev and I are listening. It's, it's the weirdest thing you'll ever hear. But I mean, you can listen original version. I mean, they still called Rock Me Mama, original version Bob Dylan. 
and you can hear him singing like he's 10 miles away from yeah. the microphone. It's, it's like us It's like us doing the show like this. <laughs> you, know, you can't really hear what we're saying because we're nowhere near the microphone. So I tell Rev, I said, so, weird. So, so Dylan tells the producer to turn my mic down. And the producer goes, do what, Bob? He said, yeah, turn my mic down. I want it to sound, I don't know what it sounds like. I mean, it's weird because you can hear it, but it comes from, I mean, you hear the music just fine. And, it, and it's got this, um, what would squeeze box sound to it? You know what I mean? It's, it's just not, not that one old crow medicine show. So in other words, the, the Bob Dylan version would be the original, right? I mean, it wasn't even yeah. called wagon wheel. It's rock me mama. And then old crow medicine show personalizes it, makes it kind of a folk country bluegrass almost feel. And then Darius makes it, makes, Darius it, a Rucker, song. makes it a country hit, you know, but old crow medicine show. I mean, I think you like the Old Crow Medicine Show version. That's okay. Uh, you like Darius's better. Like Darius's but that would be better. more mainstream country. Yeah. That's kind of That's a bluegrass feel um, to it with Old Crow Medicine Show. But um, but but so, so it's funny to watch Reb. So I said, Reb, he tells the producer. I mean, you got to believe he does this. He tells the producer, hey, turn my mic down. And the producer goes, he's the weirdest kid I've ever worked with in my life. <laughs> but he's the boss, so I'm turning the mic down. So he starts singing. And then the other producer's going like, Dude, the quality sucks, man, because I know how animate Rev is about making sure the quality of the product. Hey, talk into the mic. Turn that mic. Uh, twist that mic. Mike, um, is that is that, you know, do you have this buffer down or that buffer up? I mean, I don't have a clue what they're talking mm-hmm. about, but it's all about quality. Mm-hmm. So so some guy sitting in that studio is is like you. I mean, he wanted it to sound good. He's working yeah. with Bob Dylan. He wants to produce it and make it uh, as impeccable as he possibly can. And somewhere Dylan says, turn my mic off. <laughs> you know the guy says because he would be like you he'd go like what do you mean turn your mic off why? i'm turning your mic off why <laughs> i want i want to hear the voice come through these adjacent microphones so the guy says i don't want to do that i mean that, that's stupid the quality's gonna suck but but dylan wants it done that way and he does it that way <laughs> and the I, engineer was right the yeah quality did well, I, mean, I think it's a further example to just you know does he wake up every day trying to prove how weird a human being can be <laughs> but the funny part of all this is when rev says well, that sounds stupid. That sounds dumb. And this and that. And I said, he did write it. And, and Rev's like, yeah, he did. You're yep, right. Yep. I mean, yeah, I, I like Darius's yeah. version. So you're right. He did write it. Um, and he goes back to the, to the question. My wife and I write it down the road. And there's a song on that she likes. And um, and I said, you knew wrote that song? And she said, <laughs> I'll never get it. She said, please, God, tell me it wasn't Bob Dylan or Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> please, because I want to like this song. Sorry I, mean, to I, I, you. I really want to enjoy this song. Please tell me it's not Dylan or Springsteen trying to save the world or um or get the world set back on its on its axis. Um, we've not talked at all about these crime stats. I'm kind of I want to save this for tomorrow because we got our delegation coming in tomorrow. Um, full disclosure, I'm I'm kind of giving a um a teaser. I want to really delve in to the problem at hand and what I think we can do to address what, it. What can we do? You know, as as a public forum. Uh, to really address the issue, not just talk about well, it. I mean, you, for the, the, to me, the first the first question is, how committed is law enforcement? Is there any political motivation that is holding law enforcement back from aggressively um, pursuing these violent criminals? I mean, that, that, to me, that's the first question. Is there is there any political biases allowing or disallowing law enforcement to vigilantly do their job, to aggressively pursue the criminal element, to target certain areas, certain people, certain organizations, certain, I mean, we, we, Mike Nunn talks a lot about the data 
you know, that they have? Where are the hot spots? Where are the crimes being but, committed? But are, are his law enforcement's hands tied? Th- th- that would be the, the media and, way of saying and it. Why? Exactly. Yeah. And why? So, so if we establish that, no, I mean, there's no political pressure one way or another. I mean, law enforcement has carte blanche to go after the bad guys, do whatever you need to do to make sure we're making Florence a safer place. And bear with me, Sumter and Orangeburg. Um, this is kind of local um, because we've had a number of murders and violent crimes committed in places that you just don't normally see those sorts of things happen. But I want to save uh, a lot of the content I dug up yesterday because, once again, um, the, the guy says when I drink, I don't often drink beer, but when I do, it's Dezekis. Uh, I'm not wrong often, but when I am, <laughs> I'll admit that I'm wrong. And and I said something yesterday, going back to the last hour. I said that these sorts of things didn't happen when I was a kid. Well, apparently they did, but I was a kid. And parents protect children. So maybe there's a murder here and a murder there and a murder. And my parents say, hey, don't tell Ken the same about it. I mean, they'll, they'll be freaked out about it and nervous about it and Stay up at night worrying about it. Let's, I mean, parents And you're not watching the news. Sure, I'm not watching the news. I could care less. Or internet. I mean, I'm in the yard playing baseball or, you know, whatever. Half rubber, whatever the season was. So so I'm not tuned in. My my parents are not. Well, I mean, my parents could have been that tuned in, Red, because we didn't have 24-7 news. I mean, all they got was the local and the evening news. And my dad's normally at work. Uh, You know, I don't ever remember my dad watching much of the news. Occasionally, he'd get home a little earlier and turn the TV on. And Dan Rather would talk about it. I've told you the story. You know, I was convinced I was going to Vietnam, and that's where I'd die. Because 28 minutes of the evening news was Vietnam, you know, and Dan Rather in a in a jungle somewhere. And I'm going like, well, that's where all 18-year-old American kids go. You know, I'm 10 in eight years. That's where I'll go. I mean, I'm sure of that. I mean, I, I didn't have any clue what makes the world go around. and didn't have any idea or concept uh, of foreign foreign interventions or government or, or foreign policy or, or legislatively what gets done. And what do, but but, but, but it, the stats clearly show. That the 1994, this is um, Jim's point yesterday, the 1994 Violent Crime Control Act worked. There's no doubt about that. When you look at, and I went and pulled a lot of information because Jim sounded real sure of himself. And and I wanted to either validate or invalidate uh, what he said. And he's right. I mean, he's exactly right. The 19, now we can argue about, you know, well, the the way they measured, the way they didn't measure. I want to hold some of this for tomorrow. Because I think this would be an interesting conversation to have with people who do vote on things, who do establish budgets, who can prioritize law enforcement or not. Um, The the one thing I'll say on the record this morning, uh, because I've had conversations with him personally, T.J. Joy accepts the responsibility of policing uh, this county. There's no doubt about it. He doesn't shy away from it. Um, He's warming up to some of the political parts of this. You know, you got to kind of politic a little bit to make sure they're prioritizing the assets you need, why you need the assets, uh, what do we do with those assets, how do we best deploy those resources and assets. But but I'll say it again, uh, I was a supporter of T.J. Joy during the, uh, the campaign, I'm even more of a supporter today because I think he gets the job and he understands his job is to not be a consummate politician, but rather keep people safe. I can't speak to the city's police department, Rev, because I don't have any point of contact there. So if I said they, they're really good at what they're doing or they're really bad at what they're doing, I'm speculating. Don't have any idea how competent or not the city's police department is. But but I do know that the sheriff's department has made a commitment with this violent crime task force of kicking doors down, confiscating drugs and guns 
from people who don't have any business with g- drugs and guns, the criminal element within our community. Um, but, but if you delve into some of this legislation, it's interesting but because some of these things are done and, and we kind of, we lose sight, we lose track, we don't evaluate. We, we kind of say, hey, that crime bill in 94 put a lot more people in jail. It did. I mean, there is no doubt about it. That's kind of the, um, when, when Barack Obama went to the Sentencing Act of 2010, it was about sentence leniency. Uh, remember Mike Britt yesterday, or Cocky Mike said, you know, I know somebody who went to prison for drugs and they should have been in, in prison for that long. We're never going to build a perfect mousetrap. I mean, you aren't, I'm not, nobody is. Republicans aren't, Democrats aren't. But, but there, there, there are a couple of examples of legislation that led to uh, a decrease in crime and a subsequent increase in crime. And I want to give Jim credit where credit's due. I mean, he'd done his homework, and he said, you really weren't any safer when you were a kid than kids are today. He was right. I thought I was safer. It seemed like I was safer. I didn't have Facebook. I didn't have Twitter to scare the daylights out of me. I didn't have, and I wanna, I'll sing her praises, didn't have Tanya Brown, you know, posting about certain things. We, we've got a problem here in the, in the Florence media market. Can't speak to Sumter. Can't speak to Orangeburg. But the problem here is we've become a news desert. The Grand Strand has exploded. And if you're in the media business, where, where do you go? Where the biggest economy is. I mean, that stands to reason. I've heard people begrudge the news services, and I'm talking about television by and large, you know, the two network affiliates that at one time were located in Florence. I've heard people say bad things about those organizations for leaving the community. I mean, they, they, they went where they need to be, where the people and news and, and the economies are. So, so when you say, man, you know, WPDE did us wrong or WBTW did us wrong. No, they didn't. They did what any business person would do. They moved to a bigger market when given the opportunity. And you can explain this better than I. This is a, I mean, the Myrtle Beach, Florence television market is one of the same. The radio markets are not, right? That's I mean, true. you've told me, you you've kind of explained it. that to, to me before. Yep, that's perfect. So, so when, you, when you're in a, a part of the same market, but a smaller part of the market, you're doing yourself a corporate disservice to not go to a bigger area. But Tanya Brown has taken it upon herself to, I don't know, Rev, to just um, take charge of messaging and newsworthy events. And uh, when you want to know what's going on, if, if a breaking story happens, you don't turn to wake up Carolina. I mean, we're not in the breaking news business. We're an opinion show. Um, I prepare and you listen and we talk and we argue and disagree or agree. Um, Tanya's a reporter. And when something happens around here, I try to find out what she says on Twitter mm-hmm. or what she says on Facebook because I think she does it better than anybody. Um, That's right. They've not allocated a lot of resources. And, and she's always there. Community. And she always has the news uh, pretty much first. W- without question. So so the, the, the point I'm trying to make is we, we've got a problem and it's, and it's crime. I mean, it's violent crime. We've got a violent crime problem in America. Um, Florence, no, no, no exception. Now, 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 I made the statement that it was different then. Well, it was different then because I was 16 or 15 or 14, probably 10 or 12. I'm trying to do the math. I was 17 in 1980, and that's when we really started addressing. Um, and I didn't, you know, I didn't know what the, the 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 Violent Crime Control Act was or not. But I can tell you this, and I guess I'm not going to save it for tomorrow. Well, I'm going to save some of this for tomorrow morning. But um, I mean, I've got the South Carolina population and rate of crime per 100,000 people as reported by the FBI and SLED. So this is a valid number. I mean, this is 
I mean, I'm not saying it's exactly right, but in 1990, prior to the 94 crime bill, there were 11.2 murders per 100,000. There were 53.7 rapes per 100,000. Um, we implement the crime bill in 1994 that Biden runs from. Now he says it was racist and, you know, it incarcerated African-Americans disproportionately. I mean, they're committing the crimes. I mean, I, I'm not afraid to say that. I mean, if a, if a black person commits a crime, lock them up. If a white person commits a crime, lock them up. If a rich person commits a crime, lock them up. If a poor person commits a crime, lock their ass up. I'm not afraid to say that. And somebody at some point in time has to address this in a matter of fact. We can't skip around the roses. We can't dance around the edges. you got to confront this as it deserves to be confronted, and that is bluntly and matter-of-factly. And most people don't want to be blunt because there's you know political incorrectness involved in that. Um, and I'm talking about violent crimes. I'm not talking about jaywalking. I'm not talking about some of the other sorts of stuff. I'm talking about the reason I did uh, murder and rape. I can't think of two more heinous crimes than murdering someone or raping someone. I mean, obviously, there's a breakdown here of um, violent property, got an index marker. Uh, but you know, murder and rape well, were two that I just kind of categorized and highlighted and want to pay close attention to. So in, in 1990, prior to the bill becoming law, there were 11.2 murders, 53.7 rapes. In 2000, six years after the crime bill had been voted on and implemented in law of the land, we went from 11.2 murders to 5.8 murders. Went from 53.7 rapes to 37.7 rapes. When you get to 2010, it's still 5.7, uh, 33.4. So apparently that there's no amount of crime legislation that is going to stop 5.7 people of 100,000 from being a victim of murder. I mean, there's an evil element. There's a, a misguided element. We can talk mental illness, depression, addiction. I mean, for whatever reason, murder has been around since the beginning of time. I mean, it's biblical, guys. But but it went from 11.2 pre-crime bill to 5.7 post-crime bill. Now, here's what's happened. You ready? Since the Senate's Leniency Act of 2010, which basically allowed violent offenders to be released, We've seen a big uptick. We're already back at about nine. We went from 11.2 to 5.7. We're back to 9.1. We're back to 52.1 rapes. What does that tell you? I mean, there's only one conclusion to draw. Certain people commit crimes. If you keep them locked up, they're not going to commit crimes. If you let them out, guess what? Odds are they're going to commit the same sorts of crimes again. And, and I just think we've got to categorize violent offenders in a way that the 94 crime bill did. Now, now, here's a problem with it. You ready? And I know it's a little late in the morning, and we'll probably lost some audience, and I'd rather do this with the largest audience we can have. Um, when the 94 Violent Crime Control Act became law of the land, we saw a 32% increase in prisoners. We spent more money building prisons than any country in the history of mankind. I mean, if people are breaking the laws, you got to have somewhere to put them. So we saw a 32% increase in those incarcerated. Um, here's an interesting statistic that I read in some of my, my research last night. In 1998, that's four years after the crime bill became law of the land, it was really voted on in 94, probably fully implemented in about 96. But in 98, 82% 
Let me make sure I get this right. I mean, I wrote some notes down here. You ready? 82% of the cases in which the United States sought to have a defendant held without bail, the bail was denied. Today, it's 56%. Whoa. Now we're getting somewhere. Mm -hmm. Now we're talking about brass tacks. I mean, the guy on the radio now is talking about statistics, not his opinion about anything. Let me say that again. Before the crime bill became law of the land, 50, excuse me, 80, well, I mean, it's about 62% prior. When the crime bill became law of the land, 82% of the cases in which the United States sought to have a defendant held without bail, the bail was denied. Today, that number is all the way down to 56%. But that's a staggering effect. That, that is a monumental impact on the uh, judicial system uh, until we enacted. Now, here's some, here's some downside. And here's the other um, libertarianism 101. You ready? Uh, well, let's do this. I want to save that. Mike, we got to take a break. I don't want to get too far behind. Uh, and I swore I was going to hold this to tomorrow. <laughs> we, we'll, we'll still talk yeah. about it early you, tomorrow you can morning because we'll have a, a uniquely different audience. Take a break. Back in just a minute. <laughs> Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Am I Garfunkel and Oates? What is the greatest musical duo ever? Duo like officially yeah, a duo. I mean, what, what is the greatest musical duo ever? I mean, it ain't Captain and Tennille. Right. So who is it? <laughs> I don't know. Is it who would you? Is it? I don't. I mean, I don't know. Is it the Judds? Is it Hall and Oates? Is it Brooks and Dunn? I mean, I guess it, you'd it measure on by, what measure, yeah. yeah. What, you know, I mean, personally, I mean, you know, your personal opinion and mine may be, may be different. Uh, Simon and Garfunkel are obviously a celebrated and then noted duo, Paul Simon yep. and, and Art Garfunkel. Yep. Um, but from a record sales perspective, I bet it's, I mean, it might be Brooks and Dunn or, or the, the Judds or who am I missing? Uh, I mean, duos are kind of different. I mean, yeah. duos are kind of rare. There's not a lot of, um, musical duos yeah um, because i mean i was tony orlando and don two or three i think there was <laughs> two ladies was, in that yeah, one more than a yeah, duo yeah. <laughs> i don't know because lennon mccartney are not a duo no, that's a group no there were two yeah. although they wrote all the vital songs. members of one of the yeah. greatest bands i mean most would argue the greatest band ever some would argue the greatest band ever um they, they were a duo within a uh you know a quartet so right. to speak. I mean, they were two of four <laughs> obviously the biggest forces of the four we're Lennon and McCartney, but who is the greatest? Remember, tomorrow we're going to set aside the last hour non-politics. I'm going to lead into college football. We'll probably talk a lot of college football and whatever else you choose to discuss. I want to hold on to some of this information because I think it's so interesting and revealing. I mean, there are a lot of revealing facts in this. I mean, you looked at me during the break and said, wow, okay. So, so we saw a precipitous decline in violent crime after the crime bill got mm -hmm. signed into law. I mean, we did have mass incarceration. No, there, there was no doubt about that. But where do you put bad people? I mean, you don't send them to the beach, do you? I mean, that Williams Bryce nope. and, and Death Valley won't be full of criminals. Nope. Uh, you put them in jail. Mm -hmm. um, and we can argue about who needs to stay in jail how long. And I do believe that the 86 Anti-Drug Abuse Act, remember the Just Say No program. Yep. That's real easy, Nancy. Just say no. <laughs> Somebody offers you a drug and you're not, just say no. I mean, it's as easy as that. I, didn't, I don't want any of that. Get away from me with that stuff. <laughs> okay. I wish it were that easy. Um, the world would be a much better place if it were uh, that easy. But there's no doubt that the, 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 the Anti-Drug Abuse Act disproportionately locked up socioeconomically challenged people, largely minorities. So when Obama said that we got too many black kids in jail, um, he was right. I mean, he really and truly was. 
And there's some elements within this legislation that I think are extremely interesting. Um, I'll give you one real quick. You ready? And then I want to go back to this in the morning. Five years, if you had five grams of cocaine, crack cocaine. Five years, if you had 500 grams of powder. So let me say that again. If you had five grams of crack cocaine, that was a mandatory five-year drug sentence, excuse me, um, prison sentence. If you had 500 grams of powder cocaine, it was the same sentence. When the Obama legislation changed, when the Fair Sentencing Act became law in 2010, it changed that ratio from 500 to 5 to 100 to 18. In other words, if you've got 100 grams of crack, excuse me, 100 grams of powder, that's like having 18 grams of crack. And, I mean, if you think about it socioeconomically, yeah, who, people who's are more likely to use cocaine versus who's more well, I mean, likely to use crack? Powder's a lot more expensive from what I hear. Well, I mean, I don't hear that. I know that. I mean, let me stop trying. I'm not never bought cocaine in my life. I've never done cocaine in my life. But, I mean, I'm not a moron. I mean, I know that powder cocaine costs more than i like where some baptist will say things like well i hear that no you know that you know that to be the truth doesn't mean you're buying cocaine doesn't mean you're selling cocaine you know what i mean i mean (laughs) religious people are so nervous about that i don't want anything i do cocaine i don't do cocaine i've never done cocaine (laughs) i smoked a little weed in my day not much but a little um but 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 i think to to suggest that well, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't have any idea about it. Yes, you do. You read, you, you plunder around the world just like I do. You know that crack cocaine is cheaper than powder cocaine. So the point I want to make here, Rev, is why was the sentencing so disproportional? Well, I'll give you what I think the reason is. Because donors of political candidates probably believed, I mean, they, they would probably be more affluent than the average. I mean, if you're giving a candidate a thousand bucks, means you got a thousand bucks to give. Uh, people are socioeconomically challenged, don't have an extra thousand. So, you know, they're not on a donor list. So they go to the, um, when they start passing these sentencing guidelines, they probably ask that. Well, they may not even have to ask. I mean, sometimes you don't have to, I mean, a wink and a nod's good enough. You don't have to sit down and write somebody an email. Um, more affluent people would do powder cocaine than crack cocaine. Socioeconomically stressed people would probably do more crack. So, so yeah, I mean, I think that there, I think Obama's onto something there. I mean, I, I really do. Um, once again, I don't agree with the Fair Sentencing Act because I think it let too many people out of jail that, that are still desirous of committing crimes. But I think it did address some of the disproportionality, the socioeconomic issue of why does someone who has five grams of crack cocaine have to be in prison for as long as someone who had 500 grams of powder cocaine. I mean, the absurdity of that. Who influenced that? Sure. Who decided? Sure. How many poor people have Senator's cell phone number? Yeah. How many wealthy people do? I mean, it's the entrenchment of American politics. Let's go to the phone. Uh, Okay, we don't have a call. I thought we did have a call. Um, You wanted to make an announcement a second ago. Uh, We're doing our trivia tomorrow, and it's race weekend. It's college football. Uh, It's the best weekend on earth. It starts tomorrow, really at 6 o'clock. Um, but it really starts at about 9 when we kind of go off the beaten path and start talking about, we're, here's what we're doing. I mean, you've never opined as to whether you like it or not, but we're going, Rev and I made a, an executive decision with Freehold's endorsement. We're going to take the last hour of the week and call it kind of decompression hour. It'll be the hour we get out of the world of politics, the muck of debate and arguing and uh, frustrations we have with the government 
and we're going to start talking about racing or football or music or whatever food i mean whatever it is out there you want to discuss and talk about and um and some of these things i'll be able to converse with and some things i won't have a clue about i mean if you call and ask me about you know betty crocker's cake recipe <laughs> i don't have a clue i mean i don't have any clue whatsoever but if we're talking college athletics or racing or music or you know movies or something pop culture related we can probably have a, an interesting back and forth mm-hmm. But tomorrow as part of our trivia, we've got a special, special gift to include with our Pepsi uh, products and our Pepsi-sponsored T-shirt giveaway. Um, Darlington Raceway has given us some tickets, and we don't get to keep them. No. we got to make sure we no. give them These are for to listeners. somebody who's going to use them at the race. So I'll let you um, kind of divulge the details. Yeah, we have a set of tickets for both races, for Saturday and Sunday racing, and we will include those. Now, that means you're going to have to make a – uh, make it make the make it worth someone's while. In other words, a harder question tomorrow, maybe, because it's a great prize, right? Could, could we ask something like, um, what sort of camber rating would you expect <laughs> the Fords to have at Darlington? Maybe not that. Could could we ask specialized? Uh, could we ask um, how much difference in the air pressure would there be on the um, on the left side tires and the right side tires when it comes to Darlington? Mm-hmm. Do you know the answer? I, I'd probably do something as contrarian as the center of the question around Formula One racing. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, just to be a contrarian, yep. just to be, um, yeah, who anyway, won the who won the 2007 Formula One championship? Um, probably somebody driving a Ferrari. <laughs> I don't know that, but it'd probably be somebody driving a Ferrari. But but no, I mean Darlington Raceway has been kind and gracious to um to offer up these um very cool prizes. So tomorrow, not only will we have Pepsi of Florence on board. And the, uh, the Pepsi's takes Mondays to make Friday's trivia question. We'll also have Darlington Raceway on board. So the winner to a very difficult trivia question will win a six-pack of Pepsi product, a couple of takes Mondays to make Friday's T-shirts, and tickets to Saturday and Sunday's race. We yep, know this would one giveaway. A pair of tickets. So the same person who gets the right answer gets a pair of tickets for Saturday's race. I think that's the Xfinity Series. And then the Cup Series on Sunday. In the old days, it would have been the Bush Series or the Baby Grand Series, if you go even further back than that, and the Winston Cup. Um, cigarettes became the, the plague of all mankind, and the Winston Cup, R.J. Reynolds had to go away with some of their, some of their the Marlboro Man, he, even around. Uh, and he, I don't think he is, is he? I mean, is the Marlboro Man still legal or not? I haven't okay. seen him. Couldn't call it Winston Cup Racing. What, what are you doing now? I'm just looking to see where the tickets were, just so we could say Tyler Tower tickets for Saturday and Sunday's race. Wallace. Good deal. Good deal. 843-661-0937 is our number. Um, maybe we could be a little bit interactive on Facebook about the some of the content or topics we want to talk about, but it's kind of open floor. Yeah. I mean, what did Rush call it? Open, yeah, open, lines, open Friday? lines Friday. Yeah. I mean, th- there is no, it doesn't matter what I, some of you do this anyway. It doesn't matter what I'm talking about. <laughs> you get to call in and talk about whatever <laughs> you choose to call it. Some of you folks out there are hell bent on, you know, what it is you want to talk about despite what the host is trying to kind of direct the show in a direction. And we've always said uh, we embrace that. I mean, it's not a, this is not a show. Seinfeld professes to be a show about nothing. Uh, We're a show about everything, every single issue out there. um, We're willing to discuss and have a conversation about. So I'm going to save the majority of these stats and, and data because once again, our delegation will be in tomorrow. I actually talked to one of the members yesterday about, some of what they did last year in regards to supporting law enforcement, uh, the city police department. Uh, I just had a text a second ago from a member of council 
and I'll be careful with um who that is, but he said um he said that he would like to see local law enforcement invest in intelligence. Some of the operatives, so some of the operations behind the scenes. Okay. Uh, yes, yeah, all about guns and you know and ammo and bulletproof vest and men and women of honor and integrity and courage and you know, I mean obviously those are central parts of law enforcement. But he believes one of the wise investments they could make moving forward is intelligence gathering. Um, I, I guess informants would be a part of this. Um, working behind the scenes. I mean, the federal government has an enormous intelligence community. And I guess to some degree, I mean, Rand Paul said they read emails, but I guess they're confiscating data, you know, and, and, and finding out things by off the beaten path that you probably scares to death to know some of the things they do know and, and some of the... Um, some of the operations they thwarted down the line, I'd probably be in support of that. I mean, I would probably be in support of that being a part of the, 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 the I don't know, Rev, the law enforcement operation. I welcome all we ideas at this point. I mean, something has to be done, so I'm glad to hear that discussion. Sounds interesting. Well, I mean, it does sound interesting, and I, and I want to say again that, um, you know, Jim brung it yesterday. I mean, Jim had his stats and his figures. Um, I don't know that I agree. Well, the one thing I took exception with was, and that's fine. When he said that, you know, he thought addiction was a choice. It's fine for us to have these disagreements. It's not the end of the world. We don't put you on probation. We don't want you putting us on probation. When we when we agree to disagree, however forcefully it may be, for a moment or two or three, or maybe a couple of shows in a row, I mean, we're not going to put you on probation. I mean, freehold, and I say, hey, don't you let Jim call tomorrow. Uh, you know, he took exception to what I said. He challenged some of what I believe. No, I mean, th- this is an open forum of ideas, and I've said it and I'll say it again. I think conservative talk radio, and that's the genre of which we fall under. I think conservative talk radio is the last bastion of independent thought and conversation. There is nowhere else in America that allows for these sorts of conversations to take place. And I love it when Jeff calls. I mean, it inspires me when somebody who disagrees with 90% of what I say takes the time to call in and expresses disagreement. I mean, if we're sometimes in this thing together, those opinions will, you know, stir the emotions, sure. make your blood boil or whatever. I mean, sometimes but. they make you think about what you believe. You know, I'm convinced that I'm right. If I wasn't, I change my mind. I mean, that's pretty easy to do. Changing <laughs> your mind is pretty damn easy. So if I had an opinion and I thought I wouldn't and I thought it was wrong, I would probably change that opinion to something that I thought was more right. But but, you know, if we if we all love this country and I believe that, I mean, I, I genuinely I don't know about some of the um. I mean, I think they're self-serving to the nth degree of some of the political leadership in both parties. Uh, you you know, think? I, I don't think patriotism is their motivation. I mean, it's self-preservation. It's self-centeredness. It's rewarding those who have gotten them to the pinnacle of political success. But I think the rank-and-file Democrat, the rank-and-file Republican, we're, we're not light years apart. We have a lot of similar beliefs, a lot of similar places we want to end up in life. We just have some pretty philosophical disagreements about how to get there. Most forums will not allow those philosophical debates. We do. And conservative talk radio, by and large, does. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Earl in Marlboro County. Good morning, Earl. Good morning, uh, gentlemen. Um, Kid, I would like to get this out to veterans that are listening to your program, how sorry the VA system is. And some of these doctors and the runarounds we're getting, getting our claims processed. I have been doing this for 40-something years now. This 
government of ours is corrupt. Uh, they throng the veterans in the back of the bus. I was in Florence yesterday to see uh, what they call a vendor doctor. I thought I would life going in and life coming out. I lost my thyroid gland in Vietnam back in uh, 67. They have sidestepped that. They won't give me attention. I've had good, a couple good doctors in the VA system that are no longer there. A veteran cannot get a fair shake on any damn thing this government we've got going on right now. Of course, like I say, I've been in this system now for years. It's run around. I feel like every damn form they have ever come out with, it's a run around. Senator Tim Scott called his office uh, some months back trying to get help, and uh, they finally got the same records that I've already got. Uh, with no help there, and uh, it, it's just a runaround w- with veterans. They don't give a damn. I'm 75 years old, I, and I guess I talk a different language this this new group. I feel I, like I understand you just it, fine. I understand you just fine. So continue. But it, it, it's nothing but a constant runaround. Uh, they don't want to address the problem or nothing. I have a skin disease. I lost a thyroid gland because of that chemical over there. And uh, it, it, we don't get a fair shake on nothing hardly now. And I'm, I guess I'm going to have to go to a lawyer. They have got my medical records. I can't give you an example. Uh, one doctor suspected I did drugs and I was alcoholic. Ken, only drug I ever took was the one that the doctor prescribed to me. And I, if I drink a can of beer once a year, that's something unusual for me. The third week I was in basic training in 1966. They removed a bone spur off of my left ankle. But in my medical records, it was on a... My right ankle, my medical records are so damn messed up, you can't get nothing done, and they don't give a rip. But like I say, I've had two or three good doctors. I nearly lost my eyesight. I hadn't been for a doctor there in uh, uh, Florence. You think the doctor at uh, Don Hospital put me on uh, drops for a uh, glaucoma and pressure on my eyes? No, it took an outside doctor that wasn't in the system. So, but I, you know, you got some politicians on there. See if they can't do something and push. Well, you just raised over. awareness. Thank you for the call. Which toward the end of the show, you just raised awareness. Thank you for the call. No way I'd ever interrupt you, but um, we're out of time here in about 30 seconds. It, it, it's the notion, I mean, and I don't understand this. I mean, I don't understand why people would tolerate that much incompetency. I mean, I just don't for the life of me. Now, now once again, Rev likes to say, yeah, but dude, every the perspective you have comes from the mindset of a business person. Yeah, uh, no question about it, unapologetically. Absolutely it does. People have to be held accountable. Metrics and measures have to matter. And the public sector has insulated itself from any means of metric or measurement. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.